Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where, uh, catchphrase. Sound effect. Thank you. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic of uh, no renown whatsoever, uh, and I am here, as always, with my scintillating and intelligent co-host, William, why don't you introduce yourself? Because that does not describe me. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs, and uh, this week... On Critically Acclaimed, it's a really cool episode because uh, in addition to reviewing the new releases, okay, it's a lot, uh, In the <laughs> Heights, The Amusement Park, Sensor, uh, Infinite, Holler, Wish Dragon, and Awake, we have a very special guest. We sure do. In Infinite, Holler, Wish Dragon, and Awake sounds like a really groovy 60s jam band. <laughs> yeah. The... It's uh, uh, right up there with... Um, oh, um... Uh, who, who did? Who did? Don't pull your love out on me, baby. If you do, uh, then I think the man. I, 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 I couldn't say. I, you've, you've lost me already. Okay, yeah. it wasn't Dave D. Dozy. Oh, it wasn't Dave, them. Dave D. Dozy, Mitch and Titch. No, it wasn't them. Okay. It was um, Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds. Oh, there you go. Which okay. there's there's some debate of whether it was Hamilton, Joe, Frank. And Reynolds, or was it Hamilton, comma, Joe, comma, Frank, and Reynolds? How many people were in the band who had more than one name? Nobody knows. We have a special guest. We have a special guest, <laughs> and that's more important. We got derailed real fast. As is our want. This, this is yeah. where we go. Um, yeah, we have, we're joined by uh, YouTube sensation Lady Knight the Brave. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we have been following the career of Lady Night the Brave for a very long time. I've written uh, you enough letters. If you if you've been listening <laughs> to the podcast for a while, Lady Night's written us some letters over the years. I Star Wars a lot, and I feel bad about it. No, 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 no <laughs> never, never, never feel bad. And no, no, it's, you always led to some great conversations. And then in in the last what's it like year or so? two years I think last two years you yeah. you started a YouTube channel. Look for Lady Night the Brave. There'll be a link in the description uh, where you've been doing your own film criticism in the form of long-form video essays, which are incredible, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they've been seen by a wild number of people, and boy, am I impressed. I, I would say I am strictly middle ground when it comes to, I'm, like, there's people who are way bigger than me in the video essay sphere, like Film but that's Joy. But like, that's like mm -hmm. saying that, like, okay, yeah, I've well, sold I, a I few million records, but I'm no ACDC. <laughs> like, no, 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 let's be fair here. You're, you're doing very well. It's, it's, uh... A thing I stumbled ass over kettle into, and it seems to be working out for me. Well, hooray! I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. And oh. and we are honored to have you. Oh, thank oh, you very yeah. much. It's nice to be here. So, how did you how did you uh, get started um, doing the? Because video essays, I'm always impressed by people who. It's easy to do a video essay that's just you talking in front of a camera, and then that's it. But like mm -hmm. you actually put together like a big production, and you edit together a long series of clips, and it really does feel like we're watching like one of the best like behind the scenes features we could get <laughs> on one of those movies. So, and you've done everything from like Rogue One to Happy Death Day yes. to uh, the Haunting of So and So Manor. Yeah, the Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor. Um, I mean, like part of it is because. Um, I don't like being on camera. I, <laughs> I have bad skin. <laughs> I just like I don't feel particularly camera ready. I don't have a good setup that would make me look nice on camera. So a big part of it was I just knew right away I wasn't going to be on camera. And I work professionally as an editor, and I just I know how to edit. So I knew that was going to be one of my strengths going in. So um, everything else was just kind of figuring it out as I go. But like I've watched a lot of video essays, so I know what the format is supposed to feel like mm -hmm. and 
Um, I mean, I've been screaming my opinions on the internet for years, uh, so I have a lot of practice about it. That's what the internet is for. I know, it's just the internet started screaming back recently. It's fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about YouTube comments. They're just so bad. Never, ever. Oh, God. (laughs) The thing is, I I post the ones that annoy me sometimes, but, like, there's a lot of very sweet ones. I think I posted one the other day where it was, like, somebody had, like, a really beautiful reading of, like, that last shot of 1917. Like, you know, from the... Because I talked about... I'm not... I'm not good at, like, composition and color theory and stuff like that. That's I'm more, like, story and whatever. Yeah, that's right. That's my field as well. So yeah, I totally um, and, and they had this beautiful, like, because the tree and where... It, it, it was great. I'm like, oh, my God, you made me cry. <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> this is great. Um, so, like, it's not always bad. It's just, it's just weird, and um, it can get parasocial very quickly, which is weird. I think it's I think it's not as bad because I'm not on camera. I, I do think that people who are on camera probably get that more because there's a face mm. yeah, that they can yeah. like look at and uh, there's an extra on. level of judgment a lot of the time to that. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, luckily, nobody said yeah. anything mean the one time I was on camera. Um, okay. I don't. I, which one? Which one was that? I don't know. Uh, Bly Manor. I, okay. I, I, went, I, I haven't seen all of Bly Manor, so I haven't watched oh, that one yet. So I was on camera for that one because I interviewed Mike Flanagan for that. So okay. oh, I was cool. on camera. Um, but that's the only time, although I might do a really dumb joke where I crawl up from under my desk like a gremlin in a future video. I've <laughs> <laughs> nice. been down here this whole time. Ah. <laughs> it's for a very specific gag on a video that I haven't fully written yet, but uh, I'm like, I maybe for individual jokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the comments really have no bearing on how like how good or bad you do. I think yeah. it just re- reflects on popularity. There's a lot of projection. If, if there's a long, long list yeah. of comments, whether they're positive or negative, you know you're reaching a lot of people. And no, that's, it's true. That's and the best you can really say about that. I know that a, a lot of times people just either purposefully or like because of a lack of comprehension, they just misunderstand you constantly. <laughs> so there's a lot of that that happens that is just like, that's, I didn't even say that. Um, a lot of people go to criticism to have their own opinions validated. And yeah. and I'm not saying that's horrible, but it's also not really fair to the critics a lot of the time because that's we're, we're, we don't know you. Yeah. We're, yeah. Just, we're just telling you what we thought. And so sometimes if we say something that isn't what a certain person in our readership or our listenership or whatever uh, was interested in hearing right now, it can rub people the wrong way and we get oh, bad yeah. comments. Yeah. yeah, I was conversing with a, a fellow critic uh, about how a lot of the conversation this these days is less about analysis and more about like box office punditry. It's yeah. it's all, a lot of that, yeah. all about sort of the running the numbers as if we're executives. And I think... Thanks to something like Rotten Tomatoes, there's all all of a sudden this like instant consensus. Yeah, that it is now accepted that everybody feels the same way about this movie, and we don't have to have that conversation. Sixty-eight percent like, done. Yeah, it's like the the, criti- the criticism part has been squashed, and now all we're talking about is what's next and what yeah. does the, what these numbers mean. It's like, can we? I mean, and like talk about the movie a little yeah. bit, analyze a little bit more. Yeah, like box office stuff is interesting in retrospect because if you want to like look at like where this movie fits into like the history and sort of its treatment and stuff like it, it can be interesting to look at those numbers but yeah i find it relatively straightforward once you look them up it's like oh i made that much yeah. or oh it was the 15th highest grossing movie of the year and it, it's very it's not necessarily super interesting to go that much deeper than that well no it's it, it's yeah. more like um like because i'm talking about pacific Rim. yeah a big part of the franchise and the way it's progressed has to do with the box office returns as unfair as it is and so it's like and they say it made a lot in china it made like 
about 25% of its income in China. But yeah. I'm like, I don't know if that's enough to justify... Da, 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 they know. really wanted to make it happen. It was all theirs... And, like, they didn't have to, like, pay another, like, you know, like, IP that they purchased for it. So I imagine they were kind of gung-ho. Yeah. That's my theory, anyway. I don't know. I, yeah. I, want, I want the third, even if it's bad. <laughs> uh, what is... What is I, what, I like that second one. I like it, too. I, 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 like, I, I hate what they did to Makamori, but I don't yeah. know. Um, I want to ask you, because I think... Uh, I, I really do love the way that you do your video essays, and I, I'm not going to do them justice here, but what is your overall, like, philosophy about what a video essay needs like what or at least what, how you do it like what do you what do you what, what's your mentality that you go into it i mean i feel like sometimes i'm really pushing the boundaries on and not in a good way of whether or not i can categorically call these essays um why, why is that <laughs> oh i mean like some of them are just me talking about a thing and i don't have like i don't always come into it with like a thesis uh which usually essays ought to have uh <laughs> sometimes the thesis is just i like this have, have <laughs> we explore that yeah. yeah we just sort of i mean but like that's podcast podcasts are much more off the cuff and i feel like essays um when they're good are usually like people have like a very specific idea and they're sharing it to you as entertainingly as possible um and sometimes it is just like I just want to talk about this thing, and I want to talk about what interests me about this thing on the story level, on a behind-the-scenes level. I'll talk about the cast if they're interested. It's just like it's just an excuse for me to just air my weird obsessions. <laughs> I feel like, though, sometimes we get a little too hung up on having like a really great logline or a title for something, and sometimes we just want to talk about, hey, let's talk about Happy Death Day. <laughs> it's really cool, and I think you'll like it, and it didn't get enough, like, critical attention and then you did this incredible like deep dive into both the movies and I thought you did them wonderful justice and yeah other than just like hey maybe Happy Death Day is better than you remembered or heard <laughs> it's kind of hard to like put that in a pitch but then you sit down and you watch it and it's like this is just an incredibly rich analysis of every aspect of those movies mm -hmm. and that's enough I think I think that is an essay it's just maybe not like it, it might not be the punchiest thesis, but beyond that, I don't care. I mean, they're well, they're structured. I at least, I'm at yeah. least very vigilant about pacing because I am an editor first. So uh, yeah. that is a thing that I, <laughs> I care a lot about and I pay a lot of attention to. And like the, I'm talking like frames between an individual line of my voiceover. But um, yeah, I don't know that I, uh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Well, in any case, uh, we're, again, we have a link uh, in the description to uh, LK's channel. A um, lot of great videos on there. A lot of movies that are people are familiar with, some TV shows as well. Please check them out. I, I really do think you're going to really like what you find because I, it, very, very impressed. Um, and um, we need to. We need to like get what you find. I guarantee. We're we're going to get into some uh, some movie reviews, but before we get into the movie reviews. Uh, we, we do have some sad news we have to report, and we need to uh, give a proper eulogy to an industry legend. Uh, the great Ned Beatty passed away this week. Uh, j just uh, shortly before recording, in fact. So, uh, at least that's when the news the, broke. The news broke yeah. shortly before recording. Um, yeah, Ned Beatty uh, first appeared in Deliverance in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, and that's as far as the uh, Hollywood Reporter uh, <laughs> obituary got, if you saw the, the headlines. Like, yeah, it's like, Ned, you Ned, know... He... Ned Beatty, who made quite a first impression in Deliverance, he also had a decades-long career after. He was nominated for an Academy uh, Award, Emmys, Golden mm. Globes, Drama Desk. He's a very prolific actor. He's an incredibly versatile, because uh, yeah. he, he played a lot of really, like, 
angry, flustered guys in suits, <laughs> but he also played, like, boobs and comedic characters. He yeah. was really, really uh, versatile in that. He could do both. Yeah. Did a lot of, like, uh, animation really, voices. He could be really intense and scary, mm. and he could be really laughable and sweet, and uh, sometimes anywhere in between. So if you're unfamiliar with the name, Ned Beatty, uh, again, Deliverance, obviously. Uh, but uh, you might also remember him from uh, uh, All the President's Men. Mm. He was in Nashville. Silver Streak. Network. Network. Got, a, uh, got an Oscar nomination for yeah. Network. Uh, Exorcist to the Heretic, because nobody's perfect. Uh, oh, super... he's, he's been in some stinkers. Oh, he, well. was in, he was in Captain America, the Albert Pune version, which I will talk about in a minute. <laughs> uh, he was in Superman and Superman 2 as Otis. My arch nemesis, Otis. William has a bit of a beef with the character of Otis. I don't think Otis is handled very well in the Superman movies. I think it's a a testament to the quality of Ned Beatty's acting that he was able to get so far under your skin. That's fair. (laughs) Playing such a... Uh, like a, I blame John Williams as much as loutish character. Then debatey in this. If you see, you've seen Superman one or two. I actually right? have not seen okay. the original uh, Superman film. Interesting. Okay. Well, in the, 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 the original, first one's quite good, and the second one, uh, if you get the longer cut, is also mm, quite. good. I, I have mixed feelings about all the the, uh, the uh, Christopher Superman movies, mm. uh, but uh, the first half of the first Superman the movie, in my opinion, is like near perfection. It's glorious and gigantic and weird. <laughs> and then uh, halfway through the movie, he becomes Superman, and then it becomes like a proper Superman. Man movie, and then we meet Lex Luthor, played by Gene Hackman. I don't know why he needed hair, but okay. Oh, no. And then we also meet his uh, his his sidekick Otis, who has. And there's no other way to say it. John Williams gave him fat guy music. Oh, oh no. Just like, like a lot, a lot of tuba. And it's like, oh. and it really ticked me off again, just as a fat person. <laughs> and but also, I just he's just he's just this textbook stupid character, mm. and you just wonder Lex Luthor can't find any better help than this? <laughs> Anyone more competent than this? Really? Which leads to my theory that they were roommates in college and, like, Otis was the only person who actually, like, noticed that Lex Luthor was sad when his dad died and now Lex Luthor has, like, a lot... The only way it makes sense. <laughs> the only way it makes sense is if they were, like, friends in college and, like, or, they formed a bond over some shared emotional incident. Like, Or, or you're watching a movie with Superman in it and it's okay to have kind of broad archetypes. Yeah, but it doesn't mean they're fun archetypes. <laughs> I, I much, I much yeah. prefer Lenny Luthor than I do Otis. Okay. Because at least Lenny's competent. Uh, but also, I for the for the younger people, um, he voiced Lotso, the pink villain yeah. bear. Yeah. Yeah. Toy Story Three. That's a that's a scary bear. Yeah, he's really good in that. Yeah, he, um, yeah. he played that, and and I think Rango was shortly after that. Oh yeah, so, the mayor who was he, he was, in Rango? Because I saw um, that he was in Rango. He, he was the tortoise. If you remember the tortoise, no. don't remember the tortoise. Well, we re- re- watched Rango. Rango's it's really really good. Yeah. It is. I like that. One. He was uh, he was Rudy's dad. You ever see Rudy? No. Okay, that's fine. Rudy, Rudy, either, Rudy yeah. is a movie that I think was like really important to my generation, and then just somewhat faded a bit. Unless you like, honestly, movies. I I had a moment where I had a phase where I watched a lot of things that cast members of Lord of the Rings were in, and it just like yeah. I don't know. I saw Memphis Bell. Nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, Rudy was a story. It's a true story of a guy named uh, uh, I forget his first Rudy? name. It was like, it was, yeah, Rudy Rudiger, uh, and he was uh, he dreamed of. I think Rudy was short for Ru- Rudy. Rudy Rudiger. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember what his first name. I was that. Uh, he he dreamed of playing for Notre Dame because he like didn't have a great relationship with his dad, played by Ned Beatty, and he wanted to prove that he could like play for his dad's favorite football team in college football. Problem is, he's played by Sean Astin. He 
he's a little guy. Yeah, I know it's about football, and yeah. then he's tiny. He's tiny, he has no <laughs> business being there, and he pushes himself so hard that he's actually able, just through sheer force of will, to, like, get on the field once. And that's enough. And you watch it, and it's, like, really inspirational, and the music is amazing, and then you watch it again, and you realize... This is not healthy what he's doing. Oh, no. Like it's a little it's a little obsessive and maybe a way that it should not have been hundred percent encouraged. But in any case, um the 80s. Yeah, early nineties, but close enough. Really? Yeah. Dang. Um but yeah. Whatever he was ninety three. Oh, I was two. Yeah, yeah. Ninety three. <laughs> so yeah, you you're forgetting. Uh, um I, I remember the, the first time I like really saw Ned Beatty and mm-hmm. noted him was was when I saw Repossessed. Yes! I knew you were gonna bring uh, up Re- Repossessed yes. is is a a, yes. a spoof movie. It's a, a spoof of the Exorcist movies. Uh, it was made in 1990. It stars Leslie Nielsen as the Max von Sydow character, and uh, and Linda Blair is back as the character who gets possessed. Oh wow! Uh, she's not. It's not uh, the same character, but yeah, Linda kind Blair of is. is. Yeah. Kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know they they just do all these fun uh, slapstick riffs and uh, as a counterpoint to the the priestly characters Ned Beatty plays this like really sleazy televangelist and uh, yeah, who wants to do the exorcism live on television yeah, oh yeah. and yeah. Uh, it's actually pretty funny <laughs> it's actually pretty funny it's I, I know it, it's it's so, it sounds like really horrible because everybody has all these all these negative associations about spoof movies thanks to the Freebird Seltzer garbage mm-hmm. but um, the hit to miss ratio on Repossessed is pretty solid Re- Repossessed is yeah I, I can yeah. recommend. I just Un- haven't seen The Exorcist because, um, again, I'm not much of a horror movie person. Well, there you uh, go. Well, see Repossessed first, you'll get the iconography, but in a comic The thing context. is, I've already got the iconography. Like, I, I was able to see Doctor Sleep without having seen The Shining because oh, I've weird. just taken it in by osmosis. The only oh, yeah, thing yeah. I didn't get was, like, one minor detail that a friend of mine who's a Stephen King fan told me afterwards. Which one? Uh, the, the, the thing about, like, there's a photo of his dad, or, like, the, that his dad is the barman because there was, like, a photo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. The, yeah, like, the connection between yeah, yeah, there was something about that that I like. Yeah. I just was like, "Yeah, this is Jack Nicholson here." Uh, yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and I just rolled with that. That was the only thing. Everything yeah. else, I pretty much got. And that was Henry Thomas. He was yeah, as, as he was Jack really Nicholson. good. He is a chameleon. Yeah, a lot of respect. But, In fact, the but, entire like recast cast of The Shining and, and Doctor Sleep nailed it. Carl Lumbly. Yeah, like as, who do you get to replace Catman Crothers? Yeah. Carl Lumbly. Yeah, apparently he's great. It's <laughs> awesome. Good job. Uh, but back to repossessed. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. We, we let us not. I like repossessed better than I like Doctor Sleep. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to fight you too hard. <laughs> I like Doctor Sleep a lot, but I'm not going to fight. But you yeah, Ned, Ned Beatty gets to play this really broad slapstick role. He's clearly modeling it off of Jim Baker uh, or, or Oral Roberts or one of those really horrible televangelists that that you saw on TV. And um, he murders a dog in the movie. <laughs> Like in a like in a cartoon way. Like his his wife, like Like, the Tammy Faye Baker character, has like this little tiny dog. It's like and and here's this little dog, and he goes to pet it and bites his finger, and he he says on television, "Why you little shit?" Shih tzu, goes, shih, tzu, <gasps> shih tzu, shih tzu, shih tzu, that's what I meant to say. And later on, uh, it like chases a little ball, he throws it out a window, and it jumps into a le- like a wood chip. <laughs> yeah, and it's like all like pillow fluff. And, like, yeah, like, it's all, like, it's we we see the dog go in, and then the like, I, 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 I the dog is fine. I'm just, I'm just 
wow. I'm the re- just, the real dog is fine. The character sure. dog got got mulched. I'm but, sure, uh, but wow. Yeah, but yeah. So Ned Ned Beatty as like this televangelist who murders a dog. It's like, oh, okay, I like this actor. Oh, and it turns out he's actually a very versatile actor. Yeah, I and think then I saw Network a little bit later in life. Yeah. My first uh, Ned Beatty, like I think first time I clocked Ned Beatty, I'm like, oh, Ned Beatty, that's who that is. Uh, was in the Captain America movie, the live action mm-hmm. one starring J.D. Salinger's son. Uh, grandson, somewhere, yeah, yeah. well, like he was some, some like Jerry Salinger, whoever. Hold on, Jerry, <laughs> you know, good old Jerry. His name is Salinger. Yeah. Uh, hold on, let me see. Yeah. Matt Salinger, Matthew Salinger, okay, Matt Salinger. Yeah, he's the son of Jamie Salinger. There you go. Son, Boom. Yeah, and he was he played Captain America. He was okay. a live action Captain America, and uh, it's not a good movie. Oh it's god, not, it's terrible. It's not quite as bad as maybe its reputation, but it's not good at all. It's really, really stupid. It's uh, it's it's Captain America. He's wearing the blue outfit. He's got the big round shield, and and they changed the title overseas to Blood Match. No, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of trivia for yeah. you. But what's weird about it is, well, one of the main things that's weird about that movie. Like, one of the things that's weird about that movie is Captain America. You know how he has like his ears like pop out of his mask. Like, they, couldn't the comics, way, yeah. they couldn't figure out a way. They couldn't that look good, so they gave him rubber ears, so he looks stupid. But oh god, yeah, it's um, like it's this whole thing, and they give him fake ears. On the but it's side. also a Deliverance reunion because Ned Beatty and Ronnie Cox play best friends in it, and they were like friends in Deliverance. That's too. right. And um, <laughs> the, what happens is in the opening pro of the Captain America movie Captain America like fights the Red Skull and then he like ends up strapped to like a nuclear missile and he's got to stop the missile and that's how he gets frozen in ice and he ends up flying past the window of two kids who are reading comics and uh, they're like oh I, I just saw a superhero out the window oh who is it is it the Human Torch no is it the Submariner and I just wanted to reach through the, the Submariner that's a real word it's a real word kids come on but they're children I, I knew it as a kid so I was very I was a very judgy kid and um <laughs> I grew up to be a critic. I suppose that's not a shock. Uh, anyway, they grow up, and one of the kids grows up to be Ronnie Cox, who's playing the president of the United States, and the other kid grows up to be Ned Beatty, who who is uh, like a, a reporter. Guy. He was a reporter. Oh, I thought he was like a wasn't he a general in that one? Or? No, he was a reporter in uh, that one. Like he, it's been a while he, since I've seen Ronnie Cox America. sends Ned Beatty out to investigate Captain America, and then Captain America pretends to get car sick, so like Ned Beatty has to pull over a car, and then when Ned Beatty's out of the car, thinking Captain America is going to vomit, Captain America <laughs> steals the car, and then there's a sad montage of him walking on the beach, not understanding what bikinis are. It's what? not a good movie. <laughs> The, that whole song that they play, by the way, sounds like something Trey Parker would have written for South Park. Mm. Like, it's super stupid. Um, but anyway, that's, that was my first Night Beatty. What about you? What was your first Night Beatty? I mean, probably MASH. Um, he's on an episode in season four called Dear Peggy. Uh, he plays this, like, army chaplain who comes to lecture Father Mulcahy. And um, he's really funny. He just, he's, he, I don't know, there's this one scene where he, like, gets up on the pulpit and starts to get all fiery, and, like, Father Mulcahy's looking up at him like, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, he's, he was really good in that. That's probably, I, I know I've seen him around, but I, I think that's probably the first thing I saw him in. Okay. Um, well, in any case, Ned Beatty, again, he, he lived a really long time, had an incredible career. If you haven't seen Network, you should kind of just see Network. Yeah, you should see Network. It's really good. For, for Ned Beatty, who uh, got an Oscar nomination has, with very little screen time. He just has this one incredible standout <coughs> scene. Yeah. Like, he's just so good. It's like, yeah, give him an Oscar nomination. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, 
but you should also see Network just because it's an amazing film. It, yeah. it, it, it's satire, by the way. It is. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't really play like satire no, anymore. No, not anymore. <laughs> no, it's like it predicted a lot of like yeah. the attitudes that TV would have ended up espousing very openly. Uh, but it's it's fantastic. Um, and, um, yeah, Ned Beatty, you will be missed. I'm sorry I, I didn't care mm-hmm. for Otis. But, again, I blame John Williams. <laughs> He's listening in heaven right now. Like, but seriously, what incredible apology. actor, Ned Beatty. Thank you so much. And now it's time to review some movies. Woo! New movies. Yeah. And the biggest new release of the week... Uh, it's getting a lot of critical acclaim. It is a film that was the uh, let's not make it any money. <laughs> who cares? Who gives a shit? Uh, it's it's not our job to talk about how much money it made. It's not talking about how good it is because that's what matters in the long run. Uh, but it got postponed from last year, almost like a whole year actually. Yeah. Uh, and it is uh, in the Heights, uh, based on a musical. A uh, book by Lin Manuel Miranda uh, before he did uh, Hamilton, and directed by the great John M. Chu of Step Up Two and Three fame. He also did Gem and the Holograms, which is highly underrated. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> John M. Chu is there. actually quite a good director. I like yes. him as a director. Yeah, he, he's got he, a good eye. He's energetic. He knows. Uh, he knows how to film dancing, and that's yes, important. He sure does. Yeah, I will say there's a little too much <clears throat> editing in a few scenes in this movie. When the dancers, mm. there was, there were a few times where there were like so many individual tableaus. It felt like they wanted to show off, and I was like, just pick one, yeah. pick one. They were all doing so much. <clears throat> no, I think that's fair. I think it's yeah. fair, and I think it's, I think it's a struggle a lot of filmmakers have when they do dance movies or musicals but nowadays. He's done it is well that, in Step Up, like in true. Step Up, he's he's done the thing where he just sets the camera down and lets them go so we know he can we know he can but i feel like he's all the all of the protagonists are like in on one stage yeah and step up when they're doing it whereas a lot of the the dance numbers in in the heights are people in like different parts of a block or yeah. different gigantic areas of a pool and it's kind of hard to keep them all focused without relying on editing i'm not making much of an excuse i'm just trying to figure out how it happened because clearly I mean, you can do better than that in terms of staging i, I was saying ninety six thousand was is one of my favorite numbers in the show and it's one of the ones where uh i i they they won me over but there were a couple of times where i was like no go back what were they doing <laughs> like, i just like this guy's doing crazy things with his shoulders and i want to like I want to look at it more. <laughs> well, okay, why don't you yeah. set people up like because you actually seen the the show. Yeah, and neither I got of us to have see, actually seen the stage yeah. show, right? I got okay. to see a regional production of it. I didn't see it like when Lynn was on, but like I was listening to the album back in like 2008. I think is when the oh, wow. stage okay. show happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. No. So like I am familiar with the music, and then I got to see a regional production that was really good. Um. And so yeah, like I am familiar with the plot of it. Also, by the way, did you clock um, Patrick Page is in this movie for five seconds? Do you know who Patrick Page is? No. He's Hades in Hadestown. I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, he shows up for like five seconds to be like the face of white gentrification. And I just, and I was, oh, wait. Is he, is he like uh, like getting an apartment or something? Is he's that the one that Abuela, like, she goes to like sell him those handkerchiefs. Oh, yeah. He like owns the other half of uh, the Nina's dad's storefront. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sold yeah, the store. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. that guy. But just it's Patrick Page, and I like he didn't sing, but I wanted him to. Nice. <laughs> right, so, so tell people, give to people like the gist of the, okay, the, the story, plot. so we can get up sort of. A, um, basically, right it takes place in uh, a neighborhood in, in New York City called Washington Heights, uh, and basically the it follows a bunch of different characters. Usnavi, who runs like a corner store. There's Nina, the college uh, dropout, basically. And then um, Vanessa, who uh, works as a manicurist, and they're all just sort of like struggling uh, 
with like the just the general situation of the neighborhood gentrification is coming for them all the mm-hmm. rents are rising and there's just a lot of like individual sort of stories that we're following it, it takes place against the backdrop of one of the bigger like heat waves in like recent New York history it lasted for days and like there was a giant blackout and, like, but they it modernized it too so yeah. I think it's I think it's not necessarily I think it's a fic- fictional version of that because like yeah. I think they moved it to more modern day yeah <laughs> yeah I don't think they really needed to but whatever I um, know they could have left it but there's yeah, yeah. might well, be more practical for the production I mean they already changed a few of the lyrics some of them they removed there's a there's a reference to Donald Trump that they removed yeah. and it's fine uh, right. they, they added a reference to John Wick which is kind of like maybe go <laughs> well that entire huh. song was new that entire oh, really? bit was new uh, anything to do with Usnavi's father's home in the Dominican Republic is new oh okay um, the stuff about Sonny's green card status was new oh wow um, yeah right. so this is actually a pretty liberal adaptation yeah ways. like there's there's a bunch of songs that got cut um, I think Originally, I thought that they added a number, but I think the only new number is actually the one that plays during the credits. You got to um, add a new number in a musical so you can have an Oscar number. I know, mm-hmm. which is why I was on the lookout for yeah, it. Yeah, because it's in the you can tell it's in the it's in the credits because there's no room for it in the actual story. But yeah, every time there's a new musical, they will add like one bullshit song to Les Misérables. Just <laughs> just oh, it doesn't matter. It's not important. It actually stops the movie dead. But we can get an Oscar nomination out of this because we can't because all the other songs pre-existed and they're not eligible. What I'm sad about is they cut my. Favorite Nina and Benny number. They have three songs that they sing together, and uh, the second one, it's the start of Act Two number. It's called Sunrise. Gorgeous, and it's not in there, and I missed it. Mm-hmm. The, but the but the gravity defying number is very pretty. Oh yeah, God, that's, that's the best part. Th- that's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, no, right? it's that's, gorgeous. Uh, that's singing in the rain. Good. There's yeah. this one part where Corey Hawkins and um, I forget who plays. Hold on, I'll look it up. I have their names. I think it's Nina. Uh, Leslie Grace. Uh, Leslie Grace. Corey Hawkins and Leslie Grace get to. And Corey Hawkins, by the way, I knew he could sing. I knew he could dance. Great. Yeah, he's great. Uh, but uh, he's they have this beautiful number. It's very romantic, where they're just sort of dancing together, but they're dancing on the side of a building, and John M. Chu films it, I assume there's a lot of CGI involved, but like he films it really beautifully, and you get this wonderful sense of like I would Gravity imagine they shifting. built like yeah, a floor set that's yeah, like yeah, a uh, version of it. A little, yeah. Yeah. It, it's like the you know the Batman thing where they're climbing at the building. Yeah. They, they, I think he built a rotating set because they yeah. slide oh, across neat. it. Yeah, it's but it's so uh, it's but, pretty. But seamless. they used like CGI to make it look yeah, like yeah. it was stable, and they added a background. It's romantic. Yeah. It it it's exciting to look at. It's it's seriously yeah. it's instantly iconic. It's so good. I feel like John M. Chu is finally at a place where he was given like a big enough material. Yeah, that he was able to play a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you look at something like Step Up 3D, and like his big moment is we're gonna stand on a grate and we're going to draw Slurpee in the air. And <laughs> no, that's yeah, actually that, a sweet one. Is the one he's also this oh, one one yeah, down the going, streets of going, New York. D- going down that's the street really with, with that's uh, a, that's the best dance number in all the Step Up movies. I stand by that to this day. I, you know what? I'm not gonna fight you. On I like yeah. the one where Moose is a waterbender, which I think is in uh, Step Up 3D as well. The, yeah, yeah, the, the, the Battle of Gwai. Yeah, because he leveled up his water powers at the end of Step Up yeah. to the streets. So by the no, time I he ends up like power up sliding through the bicycle and <laughs> ends up turning on the water in the Battle of Gwai, like everyone's like, "Oh no, there's so much water! How can we possibly continue?" And Moose is like. Motherfuckers, I got this. <laughs> so, ah, oh, I love yeah. that movie so it's, much. It's such a tense moment. He's taking a test. Will he make it to the dance? Yeah. <laughs> he made it, and there he's At dancing. At the last possible minute. 
last possible minute. That yeah, wasn't but there the was, tension was, of the scene. It's just waiting for him to start dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, will, will Moose dance for us? Right step now? Up 2 and 3 are amazing. Okay. Step Up 3D is, is one of the best films of the decade. And I stand uh, by that too. The uh, Pure, unadulterated joy. But uh, John M. Chu uh, has had a little bit of a struggle because he did Gem and the Holograms, which was you know this well-known IP, and it was just roundly rejected by audiences. Uh, they, they went the Batman Begins route, where it was like the too prequel much to too Gem. Yeah. Everyone was looking forward to the gem of the show, and they're like, we couldn't get the budget for that. Mm. So they did the Batman Begins approach, where the end promises you, and then Kesha's going to be pizzazz, mm. and it's going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> All you got to do is pay, yeah. Kesha and then, has a cameo at the end. <laughs> that was the plan. She was going to be the main villain in the second it's one. one. It's one of those mid-credit things. Oh, where, my God. By the, by the way, did you sit through the credits of In the Heights? Yes. Oh, I don't there's think a cute, there's a cute thing right at the end. The, oh, it's another number. Yeah. The Piragua guy had a reprise in the stage version. So yeah. what's really funny is that the lyrics of the reprise are unchanged, and so they're referring to the fact that it's the blackout. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a little, it's it's fine. Wow, it's all right. Don't um, think about it. But in, but in but any uh, case, I, gem well, gem was very controversial because yeah. no one wanted to see it because it wasn't the gem they wanted, but it couldn't be the gem they wanted unless they went to see it. It was marketed really badly. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it was sort of a losing battle, but I think John M. Chu did a fine job. Um, yeah. Crazy Rich Asians, however, was this enormous hit, it's so and, good. and it's and it's really good. It's yeah. just a, a, a yeah. wonderfully delightful romance, and uh, I think that that's what gave him sort of a lot more leeway to yeah. to play around but, with something like In the Heights. And he was given such large, like I said, large material yeah. that he was able to stage things. I think the way he's always wanted. Uh, he was given the money um, finally. Even yeah. if you look at something like Step Up 3D, if you have a good ear for like ADR. Uh, you can tell how a lot of that movie is chopped together in the in the editing room. Yeah, like a lot of that movie, they found that after the fact, and it's amazing it works as well as it does. And here, it's like, no, he's he had the money; he can actually make it look but good. Like he had he those Lin Manuel uh, Miranda dollars. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's he's just rolling around at Hamilton money. Um, yeah, probably. So, but I, I, he has such a good eye for uh, that that sort of old world Broadway yeah. dance. Yeah. He knows how dance dancing is supposed to look and it's so frustrating seeing so many modern musicals where they just chop it to ribbons. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, well, what am I watching? I'm just watching a bunch of movement. Yeah. I'm not yeah. really... I feel like, I feel like we can criticize that this movie is overly edited in the dance sequences, but it still leaps and bounds better than most oh, of the other movies. And it's, and it's only right a now. couple of dance sequences. I feel like mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was 96,000 and uh, Carnival de Barrio mm-hmm. were like two of the ones where I was like, no, no, uh, no stop. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that one especially because they're meant to be pretty crowded together in that like alley that they're like dancing around in. Yeah. So like you could have pulled back a little bit and just shot it wide. Yeah, um, mm. that's one of my favorite numbers. So oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I was coming I, in with judgments. <laughs> just I'm, I'm I'm still burning from you know and anything from Chicago all the way through Cats where they just don't know how to film. Okay, dancing. I like Chicago. I know it's over edited, mm. but I like okay. Chicago a lot. <laughs> I, I I think it works for that movie. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, call it a style that should be um, maintained. Right. <laughs> I'm not a huge well, fan, but I, I totally get it. I, I, really I, I was really familiar with Chicago going in, so I'm seeing this movie. like, what are you doing? What are you doing to my stage show? By the way, also, in, in, in the Heights, um, Dasha Polanco's character is new. Uh, she plays this character, Kuka. She's the, the, the third like the part of the... Daniela, the, the woman who does the manicure salon, she has Stephanie Beatriz, Carla, and then she has this new character, Kuka, who gets almost no lines because they didn't like change it around enough so like Mm -hmm. stephanie beatrice still gets all of the lines that carla would get i think they gave this character like 
two lines in Carnival de Barrio, mm. but I kept staring at her being like, listen, I love this actress. Why is she here? I think she's there for <laughs> symmetry. I literally do. Oh, you see, God. like, the, the person who owns the manicure salon, yeah. and then you see Stephanie Beatrice, Stephanie Beatrice doesn't have a lot to do, but she's great in every second she's yeah. in. And then, but the thing is that you want to have, because it's a big widescreen musical, someone on the other side. But we've got, we've got Vanessa. She's but Vanessa, there. but Vanessa isn't really part of that clique. She's trying to leave. I know, but she's because that whole she's subplot is with them. Yeah, that whole subplot is there's this woman Vanessa, and she wants to like move to a better part of town, more upscale, and she's trying to basically just kind of leave this Washington Heights behind. And then there's the salon, which they actually are moving to like the Bronx, but they're actually inviting people. Like, listen, we're three stops on the train. Keep coming in. We're not leaving. We just want to have a better building. They fussed with also the timing of that because Mm -hmm. um, the musical takes place over a much shorter span of time. Mm -hmm. So, like, all of that, like, we don't get to see them leave. (laughs) Um, It's honestly, uh, it it was very strange some of the way the timing worked out. (laughs) Like, we're watching them move out to the Bronx, and I'm like, oh, this is new. Well, you have to do that to some extent because when in theater, you get a lot of leeway because of the production design and the way time works and everything. We're all just very, very forgiving. But once you start putting everything in a real physical location, we start, I think we start expecting a little bit more consistency in terms of geography and time. I would be very, very weirded out if they did like Hamilton as a movie, not as yeah, this, not a stage production, yeah. because the way that that show warps time and space inherently within each number, you would have to change so much about it. Yeah. Or have it be incredibly bizarre to watch. <laughs> well, well, you just get music video editing, like that kind of, that saying, kind of direction. I'm just saying, it would be, be tiring. I mean, it would be exhausting. Yeah. Be weird. What you would need to do would be, you know that one scene from 2005, Pride and Prejudice, when when Elizabeth and Darcy are dancing and then suddenly the room is empty because they're only looking at each other. You need to do a lot of that kind of <laughs> Oh, thing. I just yeah, assumed yeah. everyone was a vampire and we were looking through the mirror like in the <laughs> No, you're thinking of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That Apologies, yes. Movie. I often make that mistake. Oh, no. um, <laughs> you confuse things with that film all the time. Oh, yeah, remember that movie? <laughs> L- Lily... Uh, Collins. Lily Collins. Not Lily Collins. Was it not Lily Collins? Though? I think it was Lily Collins. Was it, was it Lily, Lily James? Collins? Lily James. Oh, God, you're right. Was it, it wasn't Lily Collins. It was Lily, sure? Lily James. Positive it was yeah, Lily James. Yeah, too many sure. Lilies. L- Lily James. I g- I'll look it up. Lily James played Elizabeth, and uh, yeah. I got to talk to Matt Smith and... and uh, the other actress, uh, Bella Heathcote, is her mm. name for that movie. Yeah. I'll never understood the choice they made with Darcy to speak with a Batman voice. I'll never understand. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird choice they made. But um, I, I swear I will never dance with you, Mr. Darcy. Swear to me! Seriously, uh, look at it again. I, it's I, Lily James here, right? Okay. okay. I, I saw it with a friend who was interested in the zombies, and I was interested in the Pride and Prejudice, and neither of us were quite pleased. I, I, I was really I bummed the, out. The Pride actually. and Prejudice stuff is better than the zombie stuff. That was, I, that, I read that the book, and like there's the whole book is they just took Pride and Prejudice, and they changed certain words, and they added some passages. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. as, as the book progresses, more and more gets changed, but initially it feels kind of piecemeal. And I couldn't get into it because, I, A, that's one of my favorite novels. So I'm reading this, and I'm like, all you did was ruin Pride and Prejudice. Why would you do this? <laughs> I've never read the, the Pride and Prejudice zombies book i just um yeah. they darcy in the movie was not good and uh he needs to be good 
<laughs> and Darcy needs to kind of. Well, it's also Sam Riley. He always talks like that. Oh my god, he's really? Got, yes, That's his real voice. Yo, well, I, mean, he, I thought I, that he, was a put on. Every time, well, here's the thing. I don't. I, I, I think like Sam I, Riley. I think I, I'm not insulting him. I just think every almost every time I see Sam Riley and everything, he's got a very gruff voice. So I assume that's what he sounds like. I feel like I've actually interviewed Sam Riley, but it was so long ago. I need to like that. I don't recall if he now. had that voice <laughs> to just find out if I've been yeah. shit talking this man's real voice. Well, I mean, you know, the like his voice. I, guess, I know, but, but that's mean. If that's just well, his voice, so some people, maybe, some it's, people maybe it's his acting voice. Oh, like, yeah. and any one of his roles, he just sort of puts that on. And yeah. Um, All right. Anyway, um, in the Heights. In the Heights. Um, in the Heights is one of the best movies of the year, and I wow. loved it a lot. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm it, surprised. It, it made my heart sing. I love it. Wow. Uh, how energetic it is. It does not Praise miss from a Caesar. Beat. <laughs> this is excuse me. No. I'm not some pill. No, 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 no. no. What, I like what movies I, a lot. No, no. I know you like movies a lot, but you're usually mm. a little bit more reserved in your praise, mm. especially for like something that's kind of mainstream, like studio stuff, like mm. something like oh, there's this well, eight yeah. hour movie from, you know, okay, just because I watched. Uh, from what is before from Love Diaz on Ovid, which is five and a half, five hours and thirty four minutes. Yeah, uh, and I really, really love something like that. Um, look, if it's good, I'm going to respond to it, and uh, I responded very strongly to, to In the Heights. It it felt like Broadway. It felt like a Broadway production, and not like a movie of a Broadway production. Yeah, which is really important when you're making a goddamn musical. Uh, I I feel like. Um, this one just doesn't miss a beat. Every edit is perfect. Every performance is just wow. really spot on, and the music is really, really great. There's a wonderful scene in a beauty shop where everybody's leaping about, and oh they cut to God. all of the wig heads, and the wig heads the are wig bobbing heads. their heads. That was a moving great around. Uh, yeah. I like that rewound like twice. I was like, they're, the wigs yeah. are moving. Uh, uh, the, the 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 we already mentioned the scene on the side of the building was really really beautiful. That that's um, perfection. That that's. I I like I was really stuck on a lot of it on the changes that they were making because they do make changes. Um, Nina's mother didn't make the cut. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, Nina's that's mother true. didn't make the cut. She died before the movie began. Yeah, uh, and, and that, she has a whole song in the musical. And that Jimmy Smith's had a number yeah, two. His he character. Too. It was really and good. I, I wonder if he's just not a great singer, or maybe it was just for time. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't know. Apparently, he was a big booster of the musical in the first place Aww. so uh apparently like when it was like off off broadway and yeah. then it got on broadway he agreed to like they asked him to like do like the tv ad or something oh, that's so cool. and he then they offered to pay him and he said no 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 no, no. just get me box seats <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's so good so he was he was big on this so good for jimmy smith's yeah um, and he's good he's good everyone's he's, good in this movie he's really good in it. the only yeah. thing i will say is uh so lin-manuel miranda plays the piragua guy mm. they made him worse uh, he Uh-oh. attacked small children's uh, ice cream with with the juice. Yeah. He has the whole bit about like the Mr. ice cream. Mr. Frosty's bring me out of town. Yeah. yeah, and so like the children who bought ice cream from the ice cream van, he like squirts their ice cream with his like piragua juice. Uh, he's dead to me now. Those, <laughs> <laughs> those children bought that with their hard-earned quarters. Do not mock children. They're just children. Why would you do this? I would. I could not get past that. I was just like, I think I out loud yelled like, no! <laughs> They're just I mean, kids. They don't know any better. Follow the, follow the plot and he's like, you know, hitting kids in another scene. There's <laughs> yeah. a whole much darker, it's actually yeah. like a reboot like, of the Ice Cream Man with Clint Howard. Oh, there you go. I was like yeah. severing people's heads I just, like, and stuff I, in I was like, time. I was excited to see Liz in the show be the Piragua guy and then he did that and I was like I'm sorry they made him worse he's dead to me now I can't it's like seeing John Waters in the Hairspray movie and he's the flasher oh weird 
there, there's a bit in the Good Morning Baltimore song. Like, yeah. there's the flasher. I've never seen. I've door. never seen the musical version of Harrison. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, John Waters has a cameo. In I that didn't one realize that was him. Yeah, that, that was John <laughs> wow. Waters. Wow, that's a shame. Um, and, and you, you know, he probably asked for that. It's like I, I don't want to like a big role. Just being me, the flasher. I'll be okay. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, I like this movie a lot. I, I actually liked it a little less than you did. Oh, okay. which is weird because I was like really like, I, yeah. Everyone always asks me and I assume other critics as well what are you most anticipating for this oh, year <laughs> and, no, I don't know I haven't seen it yet. Uh, that's yeah. my and that's my whole philosophy is I think anticipation is I, I think it tints our view of something the first time we see it yeah. because it's got to compare to whatever we've made up in our head that it should be because we're looking forward to it, which means we have mm. some idea of what we think it'll be, and that that's it, not fair. We're either um, judging it too harshly, or we're forgiving a lot. Yeah, we want you know we're looking forward to this. Exactly, so, and that's not a great place to be if you want to assess something fairly, whether you're a critic or just want to assess something fairly. Um, and you don't have to do that, but as a critic, I feel it's my responsibility, and I like going into something um, as unfocused—not unfocused. What's I'm looking for? Blind. Un- un- blind as possible. Unencumbered. Yeah. <laughs> Unencumbered, I think, is a better right. uh, but uh the the uh, but so but here's the thing. If there was a movie I was looking forward to this year, this is probably it. Because I love oh. John M. Chu. Mm. I I've never seen the production, but I've heard the soundtrack and it's very, very good. And I'm watching the movie and it's like it's a wonderfully vibrant production and everyone's it's just full of life and but there is something about it that held it back from like sheer greatness to me. I think it's just it's so sprawling. Mm-hmm. It's trying to be this like grand vista in which every it's almost almost like a Raphael painting. Every single character has a story. Mm-hmm. It's a full and dense. And at the same time, I'm like a part of me is just like okay, but can we tighten this up a smidge? Because I feel like there's a narrative that's not necessarily being served here, and I feel like sometimes the protagonists are actually suffering for this. Whereas Ustavi is fine but Anthony feel, Ramos is so good he's really really good he I had no objection to him I just feel like sometimes his character is just kind of protagonisty and not maybe full of like a lot of like depth well, as much as I, some I, of the other characters I, and, I, I, I understand what you're saying yeah. um, if, if if you were to extrapolate this from stage mm-hmm. and maybe this is an unfair thing to do to a film but if you're looking at a film and you're uh, thinking of its origins on the stage mm-hmm. You're probably a little bit more accepting of this as a spectacle rather than necessarily a conduit for story. Exactly, the story is actually pretty simple. A lot of the yeah, the, the arcs loose, are, really. are yeah, really kind of cliched. Dad, Dad, I don't want to go into college, and it ends very much like one of the Step Up movies does. Um, well, and I was actually I spent a lot of the movie uh, really distracted by the little changes that they made, like the. Uh, Mild spoilers, I guess. Um, they tell you right away who won the lotto in the musical. Like, that yeah. is not that is not treated like a third act twist. We find out pretty much, I think the song after 96,000 on the stage is Paciencia y Fe, and at the end of that song, we learn who won the lotto. There's a plot point early in the movie where it turns out someone who shopped at Usnavi's bodega won $96,000 in the lottery, but they don't know who. Yeah, and it's a it's a yeah. big showstopper number. 96000 is one of nobody the... Nobody knows who it is. It could be me, it could be you. <laughs> it's one of the best songs in the show. It's one of my favorites that I know by heart. Uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was singing along. But, um, yeah, and so uh, at the end of that song, we learn who did it, and there's, like, a whole other number with Usnavi and Abuela after that that I'm really sad they cut, where, like, Usnavi talks about, like, how his parents died and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a really, like, sweet and lovely little number that I think would have like 
added more to their relationship that I'm sad they cut. There's just a bunch of uh, Blackout and uh, the club number were very much changed in like who's fighting and who's where and they changed a lot of lyrics to suit that and um, I was really distracted by those changes and like the sort of the contrived reason that they need to be on opposite sides of this room and the lights go out so that they can be like you know I thought that was chaotic. It's a little forced because in the in the stage show they got a fight which is why everything's so chaotic when the lights go out. It's really good that they updated the number so that they're not talking about people looting and shooting which is a line from the show mm-hmm. i'm glad they cut that that is a yeah. good update but um, a, that's only really need to no i'm yeah. it's much better that they didn't do that but it, it does like the the fight happening made for a very understandable sort of chaos that like it just doesn't happen in, in the movie and so everyone's referencing like people shoving and this and that and, yeah, and it's like but they're not yeah <laughs> there was kind of a dance battle it was a little awkward and oh, the then dance it stopped. Was fine, but yeah. yeah. And then, and, but then that whole thing with I need to get shots, and I need a reason to be on the other side of the room when the lights go out because yeah. because the next number has us looking for each other. It was just like it was very. Mm. I was very stuck on like the little details. Well, that the they plot were again. The plot's a little thin. Like again, yeah. it's it's a, it's kind of just like. It's it's almost like the do the right thing kind of old. Like here's just everything that happened this weekend. Well, and like you know? Vanessa and, and Usnavi don't have a fight in the stage version at that point. Yeah. Uh, Nina and Benny do. There you go. <laughs> so like the lyrics are pretty different. There's a whole verse there because you know uh, I, I don't want all the details, but yeah, uh, <laughs> it was just they they changed things in that number and they had to change the song to suit it. And I was really distracted by some of those changes. I think I would probably want to watch this movie again, maybe with my roommates who are less familiar with the stage show, yeah. and like just try to, okay, I know what the changes are now, right. and I'm going to put that aside, and now I'm just going to enjoy it. Well, that's kind of uh, what I'm talking about with the whole anticipation <laughs> thing, because you already have an idea of what they're supposed to look like in yeah. your head, and maybe it'll take a couple of viewings to just even 100% decide if you do I mean, like what they changed. the framing device, though. I was yeah. crying at the end and singing along. Yeah. <laughs> again, I know the words, so I'm literally well, like the, uh, rapping along with Usnavi while crying. The, uh, the, the framing device is uh, Usnavi is telling uh, stories of Washington Heights to a group of children on a beach somewhere. Yeah, which is new. Okay. <laughs> there was no framing device. Well, and also, I, I think it's a good addition because it's something that's cinematic. It, that That's not something yeah. you could really well, fake on a stage. It, it moves us out of Washington Heights a little bit because it's a little bit of visual uh, uh, contrast, yeah, yeah, which is kind of, uh, kind of exciting. I was, I was on edge initially because it, the way the way they set up the framing device makes it made me almost question whether they were going to keep to the ending of the show Uh, (laughs) I can see that now now that I've seen the whole movie I can totally see why yeah and so I kind of it's a bit of a misdirect yeah so I was kind of and I feel like they might have actually put that in there for fans of the show to like be like questioning yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. have a little surprise but it was just yes I was a little on edge and they cut to it a little too often towards the beginning so it was a little bit like Stop it, future Usnavi. I want to hear now, Usnavi. Uh, Usnavi. Usnavi. What? Usnavi now. Um. Usnavi. Oh, my God. William, if you're not going to take the podcast serious. I'm out. I'm out. That's good. Thanks, everybody. All right. Well, well, now we can LK. LK. Hi. Hello. 
So, um, yeah, I, I didn't have the, uh, I the, bored, the, I'm back. the baggage of, <laughs> of having seen the show yeah. going in. I actually wasn't at all familiar with the show. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, Hamilton was something that had escaped my attention for a long time. Oh. And I, I wasn't familiar with the score or the show until it aired uh, uh, in the movie version yeah, yeah. they put on Disney+. Plus. Like a year ago and, now. Yeah, it was like about a year ago. And, <sighs> and, and I fell in love like in a second. Yeah. Like, I yeah. really loved Hamilton. I knew you were going to love it. And I, I didn't expect to. I'm a huge Because popular stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and I love musical theater as well, but, you know, I, I see it. I'm glad it was a staged version. Yeah. yeah. Like, William, yeah. like you said, if it was a film, it probably would have happened. Yeah, it would have had to change so much or it would have been almost incomprehensible to look at. I'm just at. like, like, more pro shots, please. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, so, like, because Broadway isn't coming to everybody and exactly. they should be doing more pro shots of musicals. I would like a pro shot of Hades then, please. <laughs> um... Seth MacFarlane needs to do Avenue Q. I'll just say that. Oh, um, God. That, Avenue Q's probably aged. Actually, it has it's, it's, aged it's, very it's bad. It's aged incredibly really bad. bad. Like, yeah. Gary Coleman is a character in the show. Well, not even that. Just some, of the, some and, of the yeah. attitudes of things. I mean, Everybody's really... a Little Bit Racist is a song mm, that probably a... has aged badly. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, there's a lot of... Even just the ending <laughs> song, which I like. I like the ending mm. song. But um, it's very of its time. It's very yeah, of the might, era we, of George Bush. We might, yeah. we might need to move on from Avenue oh, Q a little right. bit. But I see your point. Had it come out at the time, yeah. I'd have been like, yeah. Yeah, which, yeah, which makes sense because Avenue Q is is uh, a riff on Sesame Street, and there's people with puppets on stage holding their own puppets. I got so. to see Avenue Q. It's a good time. Yeah, wow. I, I've seen it as well, and. It, it was made for a screen. It was made for yeah. TVs where you can hide the puppeteers. But uh, anyway. I just want my Spider-Man turn off the dark. No, oh you don't. God. Yes, I did. Yes. Okay, Patrick Page is in that, by the way. Oh, good. He played good. the Green Goblin. Fun. Oh, I got yeah. to see that on Broadway. I didn't, but I've I've read the reviews about. Um, apparently, there was like this one night where there was a very like a big gaffe happened, and it was when all the critics were there. Oh yeah, and, and uh, somebody for, got injured. Yeah. Well, no, not that specifically, but um, they had to stop, and it was while Spider-Man and the Green Goblin are like levitated in the air with like a giant green piano and they just had to like stop and so they're just stuck up there oh, in front of the entire audience and so and it's and it's him and Reeve Carney who Reeve Carney would go on to be Orpheus in Hadestown um, and and he played Spider-Man so they're they're just up there and they're trying to riff and for some reason there's a glass of champagne on the piano mm. and Reeve Carney like goes to take a drink and like Patrick Page in full like character voices like be careful son I hear people have had a fall and like the entire Ooh. audience <laughs> roared oh, no. everybody said it was the biggest like laugh oh, biggest God. moment of the night of like enjoyment oh. that everybody loved wow. and yet also too soon weird um <sighs> Well, yeah, anyway, I, so I, I went to go see it. The only question anybody ever asked was, D "Did you get to see somebody get injured? Oh. Yeah. Was, was there an injury?" No. It's like the, as everyone thinks that's the Running Man. Yeah, there's a there's a great video uh, by a channel called Waiting in the Wings about the history of the Spider-Man musical. I would yeah. recommend it. <laughs> awesome, I'll check that out. Thank you. Um, all right, we need to move on, but yes. it sounds like it's a mostly resounding yes, yes on in the Heights. I think we all enjoyed it to various degrees. Uh, yes. I I loved it. Yeah, wow. The, the, I, I need to watch it three more times. That's fair. I, I do want to watch it again, and uh, it's uh, the last time I I can't even remember the last time I watched a film for a second time. So it's <laughs> it's it's uh, it's one I do want to revisit. Uh, I feel like it's going to be like a slumber party standard before long. Oh my god! I can or at least just I hope it will the, be. The theater kids are going to love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> the theater kids now are going to love it. Mm. <laughs> 
Uh, Whitney, what do you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about uh, a long-lost horror film or a real piece of crap? Let's, well, let's talk about the long-lost horror film, because hey. uh, I don't want to talk about the piece of crap. Uh, there's, there's plenty to say uh, about Infinite. It's a piece of crap. Uh, we'll get to it. We'll no get to it in more detail in a minute. But um, yeah, Shudder has uh, released a lost uh, featurette. I guess it's a 50 minute film. It's, it's a, it's a yeah. very short feature, but it is technically feature. It's a feature, yeah. A feature film from minutes, 1973, yeah. directed by George A. Romero. Okay. Uh, and if you, if you don't know the name, George A. Romero uh, directed Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead, pretty much invented the zombie genre as we now know it. Um, also did a lot of other great movies that don't get talked about as much, like Martin, which I think is one of the great vampire movies that mm-hmm. nobody really refers to all that often. Uh, yeah. He did the original The Crazies, uh, did Creepshow right. 1, yeah, he did The, the, first, the, the first Dark Half, show. which is excellent. Uh, he, did, he did Monkey Shines, which mm-hmm. I'm fond of. It's very uh, creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he, he's, he's a, a master he, of horror. Called a master of horror, uh, and he all... He also uh, like slapped his name off on anything. Like he would produce like the, yeah. the, the, the most garbage horror project. Yeah, it's not everything he did uh, was great. Wes Craven but, did that too, to be fair. But he was commissioned by a Lutheran church in Western Pennsylvania back in the seventies to make a scare film about elder abuse. And so oh he yeah. he churned out this film called The Amusement Park, which is like shot on sixteen millimeter, really low fi film. Uh, shot at a real amusement park. I think uh, it's Westview. Amusement Park, which is no longer, it was now yeah. defunct, but it was around in the 70s. And, uh, and, and it has a very pointed message. Like, they say out loud, there's a, a, a this sort of, like, Crypt Keeper host saying, I'm, I'm an actor, I have a family, I'm 70 years old, and here's a film about elder abuse. And we cut to this, like, white, sp- this, like, little tiny white room with three chairs in it, and this old guy wanders in. Uh, he's played by an actor named, um, Harry Albacker. And... Mm. He sits down and he's really like injured. He's like he's got a bandage on his head and he's like kind of bleeding out of his face. And then another version of him who is uninjured comes in and says, "Don't you want to leave?" And he just says, "There's nothing for me out there." Mm-hmm. And the uninjured version of himself leaves and goes into the amusement park and all of the attractions in the amusement park are about the anxiety of aging and how elderly people are abused and taken advantage of. Yeah, in a very uh, in a very dreamlike yeah. kind of way, where it's like um, he'll like turn in some of his like amusement park tickets, and instead of getting like a snack, they'll give him his groceries, but he can't carry all of his groceries, and no one will help him carry his groceries, and instead he just goes hungry. Mm. That's the the amusement park. Ah! There's there's a bumper car, but whenever you bump into somebody, you have to get out and complain about how old the driver is and how oh they're at fault because of yeah. their age. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a harrowing sequence. Mm. I think the creepiest sequence for me, maybe not the saddest sequence, but the creepiest sequence is a scene where a young couple goes to a fortune oh, teller. they see their future as yeah, an like, We want to see yeah. our future. Do we end up together? And the fortune teller's like, I can show you your future, but I have to show you the whole thing. Mm. And so we see like their last days on so this earth and it's like they're still married in their 80s but now they they're going to be kicked out of their uh, building because of an evil landlord like a slumlord yeah. is oh taking yeah. advantage and of the, them. And he's uh, uh got Alzheimer's mm. and she can't get a doctor to come see him and she's having to run up and down the stairs to take care of her husband and it's literally killing her and then when it's done this young couple is so like 
horrified mm-hmm. by what their inevitable fate is that they just leave and this young man sees our protagonist this old man who's just being very kindly not doing anything wrong and he's so terrified of aging that he literally beats up this old man mm-hmm. and it's <laughs> fucking nightmarish <laughs> it's yeah, really I mean- impossible to watch without feeling something it's like it's like if Carnival of Souls and Michael Hanukkah's Amore <laughs> like got together yeah, and like Cronenberged mm. into some kind of horrible creature. Yeah, it, and it's it, brilliant, it was, but it's sad. It, it's definitely Carnival of Soulsy because uh, Carnival of Souls. Um, do you know Carnival, nope. Carnival of Souls? Yeah, it okay. was made. If it's horror and it's obscure, probably not. Well, uh, no. I guess it's obscure again. I guess so. Yeah, there was a time um, when it, when it encroached right. up into like the upper echelons of like. The great horror movies, but now I think people will stop talking about it long enough. It's probably a little obscure. Well, again. not like it's, The Exorcist level. I mean, yeah. I, I well, I it's the Carnival it's, of Souls it's, it's is an independent, really great. It, it's it, it an independent was, horror movie yeah. about a young woman who's a church organist and she's in a car accident, and afterwards she starts seeing these supernatural, horrifying visions of things. Uh, it was made on a budget of nothing, mm-hmm. uh, and they found some wonderful, like they did find it abandoned. Uh, like carousel and yeah. it's like oh, creepy wow. locations to yeah. shoot at and it's it was, completely poetic and it was made by a guy named Herc Harvey who uh, spent his career making industrial films like why study industrial arts and be sure to <laughs> use your turn signal kind why of should, why should you woman in audience mm. study home economics like mm. that kind of thing yeah, yeah mm. these really condescending classroom films in the 1950s and then he made this like one of the best horror movies of all time yeah and the amusement park it, it is an industrial film, and it feels like an industrial film. And that's an aesthetic maybe, that's really terrifying to me. Yeah, well, I was about to say maybe it's my association with Carnival of Souls, or maybe it's just because George A. Romero is is uh, utilizing it really well. But it it feels really terrifying. There's something. It, there's, there's something a little bit more real and immediate about it. The 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 industrial film aesthetic that George Romero was so good at and that I think even people like David Cronenberg were like intentionally trying to evoke in things like Shivers mm-hmm. um, there's something really matter of fact about it it's like we're not trying to make this look good we're just trying to show you what happens and when you add something even mildly surreal to that you end up with something that is just 100% harrowing and this is like this movie depressed the living shit out of me. I'm not gonna lie, but in a good way. In a good way, like it in a sounds genuinely like it would be a great way. double feature with that that Netflix movie. I care a lot. Yeah, actually, <laughs> from, that oh, might be might be kind of a bummer double feature. I don't know. Part of me wants to part of me wants to wants to like pair it with Cocoon just as like as like a palate <laughs> yeah. cleanser, you know? Like here's, ah. here's some elderly people and they're yeah. fine. Here, okay, yeah. we're gonna pair the amusement park with Red. Let's watch Helen Mirren kill a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah, and and of course, it all the the climax of the film is not uh, like a fantasy sequence. It's Grandpa reading a story to the kids at a picnic. Yeah, and and he's just reading a story. It's like this is what I'm good for. I can read stories to to my grandchildren, and they're not his grand. They're sort of like random rented grandchild. And while he's in the middle of reading the story, the parent comes back and just starts cleaning up the the picnic and reyanks the book out of his hands and leaves. Doesn't regard his existence as the slightest. And and he he, and he starts crying and 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 that yeah that one kind of that ripped my heart out. There aren't Uh, a lot of movies that I feel deal with. A, the realities of aging, but mm. also our anxieties about aging. Yeah. And when they do, and I think I, I mentioned Michael Haneke's more because I think it's very much about the same thing, um, I think they're just undeniably powerful because 
ideally we're all supposed to get old. Like, we won't all. We can't mm. all make, you know. Some of us will be hit by meteors. Uh, but, uh... The, I like that's your chosen mode of death. I'm, somebody's I'm gonna, just it's the fun about, way to go. I'm just thinking about, like, maybe in the future this will be a good double feature with that, um, the upcoming, upcoming M. Night Shyamalan movie, Old. Maybe. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like, I feel like we don't necessarily talk about, like, how that freaks a lot of people out and how... Be, and honestly, a lot of the movies where we do look at aging, there's a certain exploitative quality about aging. You look at M. Night Shyamalan's film, mm. uh, the, the Visit, mm. where it's all about kids who are... And I, initially, they don't know anything's wrong. They're just looking at old people being old, and they find that terrifying. Yeah. And that's they, kind they of are, a point of... They're little kids. They're little kids. Yeah. But like, regardless, though, I think that's it's, it's exploiting, I think, what the audience views of as age is scary, I don't want to... There's a scene in the amusement park where they go to the freak show at the amusement park, and the freak show was just old people. Mm. And young people are looking at them, and like, and that's kind of the vibe I get from yeah. a lot of movies that are about uh, elderly and the aging if they're not like supposed to be like fun road trip films. And I feel that this is one of the, first, the few films that just do it really candidly. Yeah, yeah. And just not apologize for it, not try to truss it up as something it's not, and just say we're terrible to the elderly. Mm. And it makes perfect sense based on how we, when we're young, treat the elderly, that we would be terrified of growing up. And that the only way to fix this is to start treating the elderly different now mm -hmm. so that when you're old, maybe the standards will change. Luke, are you okay, buddy? Yeah, the, Getting the zooms? The, uh, being old has no place in popular culture. Um, there, you know... Even if you look at movies that sort of like venerate old people, they put them in young person scenarios. Yeah. You give a gun to Helen Mirren. Uh, yeah. That movie Tough Guys mm -hmm. with uh, it's um, Kirk Douglas and um, is it Burt Lancaster. I don't remember that one. Uh, it, it's it's a film from uh, the 1980s about these two old like wise guys. They get out of prison and they don't know like what to do with their lives, so they just oh, get like one movie with lives. James Fonda and Robert Redford where they just like hang out together. I think it was James Bond hmm. or Robert Redford. Are you thinking of the old man in the gun with Sissy Spacek? No. Oh, okay. Hold on, I'm going to do a Google. I was thinking about stuff like, you know, like Bad Grandpa, where it's like... Yeah, or the like, Dirty Grandpa. Dirty Grandpa. Robert like, De Niro's he's, like... He's old, but he's still like raunchy, and he can, can still, yeah. you know, he's still going to sleep with Aubrey Plaza. Isn't it funny yeah. that old people can act young? You're like, well, what about actually like respecting mm. age? And like, yeah, that, that, that that's part of the process, and that's valuable and that as people age they, they gain yeah. things like wisdom and perspective so, our and souls at night what is it our souls at night our so oh i don't know that movie from 2017 it is a netflix oh, okay. movie oh okay. and it's just like jane fonda and uh robert redford and they're both i think they're both widows and they're both just like hey we're both old and lonely let's just like hang out at night <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's ah. really sweet yeah the, it's great. the uh the experience of getting old and i'm i'm middle-aged so you know this is something i get to, hence the blue hair uh <laughs> That this this is like midlife crisis stuff is me dyeing my hair, oh. uh, but uh, yeah, this idea that I'm sorry, life if you hear is... me giggling, I'm not giggling about what they're talking about. Just uh, Luke is being a little, a little scamp. Yeah, Luca the cat is is ripping across the apartment. It's, it's a little bizarre. I don't know what's up with you, buddy. Zoomies. But uh, but yeah, the idea that things are going to sort of slow down and become. In film terms, less cinematic. There's not going to be as much action in your life. Uh, the, the struggles are things that, when you're young, see are the things you make fun of. Like when you're 20, oh, I'm not going to do the old person stuff and go to hometown buffet. When you know you're 75, maybe that's like a really warm experience for you. 
And I feel like uh, any film that is able to address that, even as something as nightmarish as the amusement park, is doing something right. Hey, hey, Luca, are you okay, pal? Something scary? Maybe Luca fears aging. Did you watch the amusement park? <laughs> I don't recommend it. It's not really designed for cats. Yeah. Now we need oh, a film God. about elderly cats. Uh, if uh, in any case, oh, wait, um, we do. It's called Cats. There you go. <laughs> elderly cats. That's literally, <laughs> literally <laughs> cats. Uh, in any case, yeah, the amusement park. It's on Shutter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume because Shutter's usually pretty good about this, they'll probably put out a home video release. Yeah. Uh, it deserves a Criterion. This is a fascinating find. It's really, really good. It's really, really good. It's really creepy. I think he's okay. Actually, could you remove my my cane? Is hanging from his cat tree. <laughs> I think go. maybe that's uh, that's upset his sense of of place. Let me. <laughs> I think I think he way. wants to play. He well. might want to play. He's a getting, bit. getting He's... a little bored. We... Anyway, sorry, sorry for me trying to talk about you know the, the rigors of aging while the cat is rambunctious. He's just I'm young and play with me. Yeah, we um, love you, Luca. By the way, I know I look like I'm twelve, but I'm thirty. I wouldn't say you look like you're twelve. I, but all right. Listen, I, a lot of people mistake mm. me for a child. Oh, <laughs> only oh, a couple years ago, was walking around a high school, and I think a high schooler tried to razz me as if I was one of their own. <laughs> oh, nice, that's great. Thanks for that. So for, for for a moment, you could you could be young again. Yeah. I I, uh, I didn't read it on our letters episode, but a fan wrote in recently and said, "Stop saying you're old, Whitney, because I'm sixty, and I listened to all your podcasts." I guess like, oh, yeah. we, it's all a matter of perspective, yeah, I'm, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to be 43 in August, yeah. so um, just just to, uh, I, I don't hide it anymore. I'm not yeah. going you know, mm-hmm. to obfuscate. Just I was born in 1978. That's yeah. the reality of the situation. And I'm, I have one more year left in my mid-30s. <laughs> I'm 39. Still in the middle of those 30s. Uh-huh. Anywhere from one to nine, right in the middle. <laughs> um, no, I need, um, I need to stop. I need to stop doing that. I'm, I'm 39. Damn it, it's fine. Um, and aging actually does scare me. I actually mm. saw Michael Haneke's Amore, and it really chilled me. Mm. Um, and it's not so much. I guess it's not so much aging per se as it is just death mm. and the encroachingness of death. I'm literally phobic of the concept of death. Uh, and uh, as a result, you know, I can handle films that treat death kind of cavalierly. But once you start dealing with the actual Hmm. pragmatic yeah. process of the body shutting down. I'm like, no! Pass! <laughs> pass! Thank you! No! No, we do not want that today! Thank you. I, but when it's done this uh, well, it's just it's yeah. hard to deny. I, I can't wait to go out, and I hope it's spectacular. Yeah. Oh, um, you want to go out in a blaze of glory. Absolutely. Everyone says, I want to go quiet in my sleep. Bullshit! I want to I be on... <laughs> I want to be standing on the needle of the Eiffel Tower... Singing Amazing Grace when a blimp crashes into me. There's a scene uh, in Away We Go where John Krasinski says to Maya Rudolph, he's like, and and if I die, you know, like before a child is born, tell her that I I went out, you know, like saving 500 Chechen. (laughs) (laughs) I still maintain that Sam Mendes' best film. I really like Away We Go. Have, Have you chosen your epitaph yet? Uh, I want it to be something... Uh, here's what I want. It's not so much the epitaph mm. as it is the headstone. Okay. Because I don't just want, like, a headstone. I want, want like, like, a, a Voldemort statue. Yeah, I want, yeah. like, a scary skeleton with a scythe and a cloak that's, like, pointing at the person <laughs> looking at my headstone. And I want it to read, like, your last William oh. Bibiani, you know, born 1982, died 3012. What a, what a life. <laughs> and, uh, but I wanted to say something, like, weird, weird and cryptic, but also kind of specific. Right. Like, 
you're next, Steve. Like that. <laughs> you know? Like, just... Because it won't get everybody. Everyone's like, oh, thank God I'm not Steve. This is great. And then just one Steve walks by. Yep. Da, 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 da. Hey! <laughs> I like the idea of uh, she lived spitefully. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Uh, perished under mysterious circumstances. That's a good <laughs> that, 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 well, That's what I want my... Uh, nice. No matter how I die, that's what ooh, I want to, ooh, to ooh. Can I have, like, Born 1982, and then, like, a hyphen, and then, and then a question, question mark? mark? <laughs> <laughs> Don't know when they died. <laughs> Maybe they're still around. <laughs> And then I want to be buried with a map. I, I just want a map on the back of the tombstone. Ooh, like somebody's going to go into no, the, into the, the cemetery the with... Lid. Yeah, it's on the inside of the lid. You I, I don't necessarily... That's a lot of work. I don't want somebody... Yeah, well, I want people to do the work. Okay. I mean, I, I don't mind if, if somebody... I'm down there. I want to be seen. That's a lot of work. I, I know. I, I don't mind if somebody digs me up, but I would rather, like, a bunch of tourists come in and do, like, a rubbing of my, yeah. my grave, like, a map on the back of my Well, that's where the clues are. Okay, you got you got like there's that's like a code key in the back, but you can't I read want, the I map. I want them to go the all key. around the world, and it turns out the finish line was still in my grave. And Y'all just, well, it's because all the way around the world, it's like all the way around the world of the stuff. How are you okay. going to remember? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get let's get. I want to get this out because we have like uh, LK saw two films, and we each saw two films individually. But was one other film that Wendy and I both saw together, and I want to get it out of the way because it is crap. Uh, it's the new garbage. Film. It is the new film Infinite, which is on Paramount Plus. Uh, this was going to go uh, be theatrically released, and it was going to be untheatrically released a week later because it's really <laughs> bad. <laughs> they would have taken it back. <laughs> they would have been like, "Bad, sorry, like, sorry, we'll take more, it. We'll take more, it back." More people will see it if we just sort of like leave it on a streaming service. Yeah, yeah Paramount Plus put the out standards and, are lower. Um, this is an Antoine Fuqua film, and he's a, a, a bit of a known quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, Little hit and miss, but his hits are good. Hit, hit and miss. He did uh, what was Magnificent. Training Day. Yeah, training he did training that was his day. big one. I think. Yeah. What was his last? It wasn't Magnificent Seven. There's the Equalizer. Um, he did, he, he, no, he didn't do Equalizer Two. Oh, he didn't do Equalizer 2. I don't think he did Equalizer 2. Yeah. I could look be wrong about this, Fuqua. actually. Um, I know he did Equalizer 1, which was surprisingly yeah. good. Uh, he did uh, He did the Magnificent yeah, he did, 7. He did do the Equalizer 2. He did 2, okay. and, and right before that was Magnificent 7. Which I, I, uh, I like that Magnificent... It's not as good as the original, but I like that version it, fine. I'm really baffled by why they didn't set it in Mexico like the original, and they set it in like some random nowhere town. I don't know. Um, <laughs> he, also, he also has done now really awful films like Olympus Has Fallen. Which um, is oh, watchable. No, That's a, in a Steven Segalian kind of way. <laughs> that's a watchable <laughs> enough uh, movie. Oh, but no, now he he's done so a really kind of... Of slickly produced science fi- science fiction slash fantasy kind of movie, mm-hmm. uh, starring Mark Wahlberg and Chiwetel Ejiofor and uh, Jason others Man- as well. Others, Jason Mantzoukas is in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. He and he he's plays the only person in the film with any life to him. And, uh, <laughs> and I swear, uh, Jason Mantzoukas is on a podcast called "How Did This Get Made," where they analyze um, just really bonkers movies, and he he's sort of like. Not, yeah, I was not not to put too fine a point on it. He's the pervert of the group. He's the one always making sort of like <laughs> like the ribald comments. And uh, yeah, here he plays this sort of like hedonist character. And the the conceit of Infinite is uh, there's a certain number of people on this planet who, like Uncle Boonmi, can recall their past lives. Yeah, but not necessarily like their thoughts or their personalities. Just essentially. Fighting skills. Well, their past their, lives. Their, their ability they're, to speak other languages. Their ability to like. Uh, there's a whole bit where Mark Wahlberg, who uh, is one of these people, 
Uh, as a child, he started like hearing things and remembering things from different lives. It's like dreaming was, in other languages. And he was yeah. diagnosed as a schizophrenic, and he's been on pills ever since. Which, by the way, that's a terrible metaphor. Mm. We're like, oh yes, your mental illness is actually just a superpower. And I'm like, yeah. but in any case, one that of the things that he does, so awful. he's he he's, what he wants to do. Mark Wahlberg is to run restaurants. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> And then uh, someone tells Mark Wahlberg, I'm he, sorry, because he of He does, your... by the way. I know, that's there's, the there's, joke. Yeah, places, and, yeah. and then someone says to Mark Wahlberg, I'm sorry, Mark Wahlberg, because of your troubled past, Mark Wahlberg, you cannot do this job, Mark Wahlberg. So Mark Wahlberg, who was w- once arrested for like a hate crime against... Uh, Asian American people, you you are now uh, you are now cast in a film in which you are the repository of knowledge from Japan. Uh, 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 He's seen early in the movie, like uh, smelting a samurai sword. Yeah, he can't get his preferred job of running a restaurant. All he can do is make samurai swords like they did back in the old days and sell them to drug dealers. That's how I put makes ends meet. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. The okay. plot of the movie that, is and that's yeah, we're not even in the plot. The yeah. plot of the movie is Mark Wahlberg is the reincarnation of like the awesomest chosen one badass guy who previously died uh trying to prevent one of the evil reincarnation dudes. Called uh, the the evil people are called the nihilists. Uh, <laughs> And the and no. the cool people are called the infinite. The infinite versus the nihilists. Oh, shut up. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all or nothing with this movie. Yeah. Hey. And, and the and the basically the idea is uh, uh, Chiwetel Four is the leader of the bad guys, and he and, and he's from somewhere. He's well, he's from everywhere, isn't he? He's been yeah, born he, all over the world. And, I don't know. Like he he chose some sort of like weird like. John Voight in Anaconda accent that yeah. nobody could ever <laughs> ever understand. He uh, he wants to stop reincarnating. To him, it's hell. Mm. So his his solution is he is going to release like a virus that will kill literally all organisms on Earth. So there's nothing left to reincarnate into. At the beginning, nothing, of, nothing will be born if everything's dead. I will return to this plot point in a minute because it's fucking stupid on a level we haven't even talked about yet. He's, he's but, got, he's got but, and it's, it's all and it's stored in a little egg. Stored in a little egg, and they call it egg. they call it the egg. The, the, yeah. MacGuffin, the MacGuffin is a little egg. Yeah, and it's egg size. It's little, yeah. but it can destroy all life on it. I love it when they give fun names to things in movies like this, and they call it yes, welcome to our headquarters. We call it the hub, and I'm like no, and I know you will appreciate this. That peaked in Pacific Rim when they said, Welcome to our home base. It's called the Shatter Dome. Yeah. <laughs> like, nope, never getting cooler than Shatter Dome. We're going to have to just stop calling it. We're just calling it headquarters from now on. It's either Shatter Dome or nothing. You well, can't just call it the hub. Who gives I'm, 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 I'm starting to think of what like a real world equivalent would be, of that would be. I, I the Pentagon. A, I work in a. It's a in building. A, it's got five walls. I, I work in a movie theater. I, I work up in the projection booth of a movie yeah. theater. We call it the booth. But that's not how I introduce it to people. Yeah. Welcome to the projection booth, or as we like to call it, the booth. It's yeah. Like, no. You, they'll you figure just, it out. Just call it the booth. You when know you, what call, it it, is, when yeah. you call it a booth, they'll figure out that the projection booth is what you mean. Mm. Context matters. This just sounds like Doctor Who by way of Wanted. This, this is a little bit of Wanted and a lot of oh. Highlander. But here's, here's what happens. Uh, Mark Wahlberg's previous life 
uh, he yeah, dies to see in a prologue. He dies know. trying to stop Chiwetel Ejiofor's character from getting this egg, uh, and uh, now, the, but the egg has been missing ever since. And Chiwetel Ejiofor is like, I'm waiting for the next reincarnation of this guy so I can find him and he can tell me where this damn thing is so I can kill everything on Earth. Mm-hmm. And Mark Wahlberg, you know, no one doesn't find out about this until he's like in his forties. Because he's Mark Wahlberg. Oh, by the way, apparently Mark Wahlberg was born in 1985. Sure, Mark. <laughs> sure, Mark. Whatever you say. Um, oh just like in uh, Hobbs and Shaw, where it turns out like Jason Statham has like and a slight Kirby or like yeah. brother and sister, Jason, even though they're like 30 years. Yeah, old. he's oh, like, yeah, he's, yeah. and they, we show them like flashbacks of them as little kids together. Sure, Jason. Yeah. Whatever you say. But um, in any case, Mark Wahlberg is the only person who knows where this thing is, and he's got to like recover these memories. Um, and that's the plot. And will Mark Wahlberg figure out he's all chosen and shit and find his psychic powers and I don't give a fuck. Uh, here's, here's, there's so much wrong with this movie. But here's what it all boils down to and just in terms of here's the amount of thought that went into this. Again, to restate, Chubatella Giafor's plan. He doesn't want to reincarnate anymore. Mm. So he wants to kill every living thing on the planet. In order to kill every living thing on the planet... He uses a tool to stop other reincarnated heroes. This tool is a gun. And if you're shot with this gun, you don't reincarnate anymore. Pause. Oh, it, no, it traps your soul. Yeah, which means it, you don't it, reincarnate it, anymore. In like a little box. Which means you don't reincarnate no, anymore. But you, and you that's have, the end. You have memories in the box. and It's, it's like memories, torture. but it's yeah. not consciousness, though. They don't talk about everyone's mm-hmm. tortured there and trapped. He's just data on a file. He could just stop himself right there and then just tell someone, oh, well, and you could just why, drop why, this in why the ocean. Risk it? Just kill everybody. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're right. That's much more sensible. I apologize. <laughs> Here's what you do you try it out, and then you just have, like, okay, put me in a box for a week, and then bring me, then, like, release it. I'll come back, and I'll be able to say, that worked great, actually. Let's just do that. Maybe he did. But we don't know that, do we? He's got so. There's a a scene in the movie where they go into like his office, and I I was talking about how this reminded me of Artemis Fowl, Mm -hmm. uh, the Kenneth Branagh film, and it's sort of its production design because there's some like techie stuff in like a a lot of palatial estates. There's a lot of like really rich looking interiors. There's a bit where like a sniper is shooting at like Chiwetel Ejiofor in his palatial estate, and Chiwetel Ejiofor like gets up from his fancy dinner table turns around and like puts like presses like a button on a painting or something mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's like the thing from Minority Report and it allows it to control drones around his estate and you just see Chiwetel D4 just doing like weird dance moves and you can tell that he has no idea what he's doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, hilarious in, in Minority Report uh, Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg and like they hired a futurist to work mm-hmm. on that movie yeah. came up with those movements they yeah. wanted like they wanted to they, feel like it had language things had yeah. like actual specific functions in that mm-hmm. scene I interviewed uh, Tom Asa, Cruise wasn't just doing random stuff I interviewed Asa Butterfield for uh, Ender's Game uh, and we talked because he has to do a lot of that shit too mm-hmm. and he was like yeah no we thought it all out because yeah. it needs to look like I'm doing something real mm-hmm. and he would actually like do the moves like in front of me like okay if I would open a file I would do this mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and it looks like Chiwetel Ejiofor was just told to like wave his hands around yeah, wildly yeah. it looks ridiculous um like i said it's very slickly produced uh the the action set pieces are staged well they're really freaking stupid there's a scene where um (laughs) oh god there's a scene where mark Wahlberg is on a a motorcycle driving along a cliff Mm -hmm. and there's a plane taking off like right next to this cliff to the point where he can jump his motorcycle onto the wing of the plane Mm -hmm. 
And then he rides the motorcycle along the wing of a That's moving plane. Die yeah. Hard Four levels. And, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then like stabs his like his super samurai sword into the wing of the plane so he can anchor himself into place. <laughs> and then for some reason, I guess plane he has this power. He can just sort of like stand up and walk across the wing of the plane. And he also, the, the plane doesn't crash with a hole in the wing. No, he already um, oh he already blew up one of the engines. Yeah, yeah. He, he tossed the motorcycle into one of the engines. So yeah. it's not crashing yet. It's just one of those things where just a whole bunch of stuff can happen. Yeah. Like there, at any time. Yeah. There's one bit uh, that I kind of liked in terms of like action, uh, where there's all those drones like flying around shooting at people. One of the characters has like a little uh, like a grappling hook. Yeah. And uh, in order to escape the drones, she actually grapples onto one of the drones and kind of rides it around for a little bit. Yeah, that's that, kind that, of, that was, in a vacuum, that's kind of. But, yeah. But that, a little cute action set piece in the midst of this brick-headed movie yeah. is, is small praise. It's, uh, it's a it's real unbel- fucking turkey. Unbelievably stupid. It's basically, if you took all of the scenes in a movie that are like world-building, where we're introducing various elements, various tools, names for things, and you just took all of that world-building out of a script and put the world-building in this script... And then you took all the character development and story from the other script and you lit it on fire. <laughs> and then you only made the world building script. That's what we ended up with. This is like a textbook example of how not to write an action movie. Like it's really just astoundingly awful. And it's amazing it got made. Like it's seriously, how did it get made? I can only assume that Mr. Mansukis will eventually uh, come around and explain. That would be fun. Perhaps. What, yeah, is, is it, I mean, is it professional to pay in your own movie? I, I think, I think, I think, usually, usually it's my understanding actors are under contract to promote the movie mm. until the movie comes out and then usually there's like a little bit of a grace mm. period after that and then after that they don't give a shit. Usually yeah. like a year after a movie people um, will start being honest. I, I, yeah, have, or I have noticed somewhere that around uh, there, yeah. How Did This Get Made, however, has not yet covered uh, the movie Torque which uh, seems like a grave oversight, and I think it's because their friend, Adam Scott, is uh, in that movie. Well, also because that movie got made extremely well, and everyone <laughs> loves Torque. Torque, if Torque is a movie th- where they, they have a motorcycle that drives so fast, parking meters get angry and just explode. <laughs> yeah. Torque is the movie that came out around the time the first, like, around like Too Fast, Too Furious came out. And everyone was like, oh, this is too broad and silly. It's not like the Fast and Furious movies we like. And then Fast and the Furious movies got as weird as Torque, and everyone said we liked it better, and no one went back and apologized to Torque. Go back and apologize to Torque. Torque is amazing. Maybe you just need to throw a bunch of Hot Wheels on it first. Like that one no, Fast and Furious there's like, movie. There's actually like a little, there's actually a little opening a bit at the beginning where like the main guy who's Martin Henderson from The, the Ring back when everyone thought he was going to be the next big thing. He's like, what is it about driving cars that makes everyone such an asshole? Because it's a motorcycle only movie. Um, and Jamie Presley is in it oh as this God. like punk rock goth warrior-esque from another dimension. She gets and, yeah. to like fist fight, like the, I forget who played the, the heroine in it, but she gets to fist fight one of the heroes with a motorcycle. Yeah. And they're punching each other with the front wheels of their motorcycle. This sounds like a good time. It's, it's amazing. It's a blast. It's, it's like... Yeah, yeah. You see, Torque is pretty special. It's it's one of the best things anyone has ever done, and uh, we've talked enough. So I want you to take the uh, take point on the next one because you saw these movies and we didn't. Would you rather talk about Wish Dragon first or Awake? Um, do you want me to talk about the good movie or the bad movie? That is your call entirely. We leave it to you. Um, let's get Awake out of the way. Um, All right, we're talking about stinkers. <laughs> All right, uh, cool. Tell us about Awake. It's um so. 
Gina Rodriguez plays this woman. Uh, she works as a security guard somewhere that has, like, medical shit around. I don't know. Um, but basically, one day, nobody can sleep anymore. And it's like mm. this, like, like okay. they, they hand wave this away with, like, a like a meteor might have reorganized people's synapses or some shit. I don't know. Okay. Whatever. We just need everybody not to be able to sleep. Yeah. So... The world goes to shit because um, they basically they they're acknowledging this is like in the in real enough world where like you know when you stop sleeping your brain stops working as good yeah. and you know eventually organs will start to shut down yeah um so like everybody basically is on a clock um but Gina Rodriguez's daughter can still sleep and well, that's oh, nice no it's yeah. just the chosen one kind well, of rushing her to the but, you know what it, know what it is is like you ever like have like everyone in the apartment like her house is like can't get a lot of sleep, but, like, one person can sleep in, and you're like, hey, sleep in for me. It's like everyone telling Gina Rodriguez's daughter to sleep in for them, and she There's can only sleep really for, like, a hundred hours. There's a terrifying scene where uh, uh, the kid's grandmother, uh, I think it would be uh, Gina Rodriguez's in-law, takes her to this church, and, like, part of the thing that's wrong with this movie is that everything goes to shit really quickly. There's, like, one line where Finn Jones is in this movie for a second, and um, he says that, like, there's something about it that's accelerated. But, like, it seems like only a day has passed, and first off, also, all the power went out. So the fact that everybody knows that everybody can't sleep, I'm like, how do you know? Honestly, honestly, like, it seems to me like, how would would even people know to, like, oh, everyone didn't get a lot of sleep last night around the office. It would take you two or three days to notice that no one has slept, and by that point, the damage has been done, and you're probably all going to be dead within a few like, days. Like, I understand that Gina Rodriguez's, like, weird medical military friends know things. Yeah. But, like, yeah. It feels everything. like it should happen slower. Be like, yeah. okay, everyone, no one can get more than, like, five hours of sleep one week, four hours of sleep the next, and it just keeps getting worse well, and worse. No, and, the, and, and yeah, like, and the idea, I understand that the idea is it's trying to be compressed, but it's so compressed that everybody knows that everybody's acting crazy immediately. And so there's this scene in a church early on with Gina Rodriguez and her daughter and and like everybody's being so crazy and also I'm just as a Jewish person being in a church makes me on edge so like <laughs> I just this whole scene I was just like this is a time bomb oh uh, and it, and I was right but um yeah it just it just goes to shit so quickly in a way that strains credulity constantly and like there are moments that are interesting I I like Gina Rodriguez. I really want her to be in something that deserves her one day. This mm-hmm. wasn't it. Although it was a weird um, Annihilation reunion because Jennifer Jason Lee actually plays the like head science lady oh, okay. um, at the at the hub place that they do eventually take the daughter. Um, there's also this one character named Dodge. They they run into a bunch of like prison inmates because like the people just walked out because everything's going to hell now. Yeah, why um, not? Who cares? Yeah, so they all just sort of like leave and and they meet this guy Dodge. He's kind of the most interesting character, and the movie forgets about him at some point. Uh, and I was like like in a in a way that really doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's there for long enough that we should have known what happened to him. Yeah. Uh, and they just they just straight up forget about him at the end of the movie. Um Weird. it's it's just I like her dynamic with the kids. I think the kids are both doing really good for the difficult mm. things they're being asked to do in this movie. Is it an um, allegory or just a thriller? I think it's more just a thriller. I mean like there is there is an element of it where it's like, ah, look at how poorly we deal with like a national crisis. Um, yeah. That that feels like maybe pointed, but also not. I feel like I feel like you live long enough, you're going to get to a point where 
you can't sleep for a few days for one reason or another. Actually, so Dodge has insomnia, yeah. and so he's yeah. functioning a lot better towards the oh, end of the movie than other he's, characters. Yeah, he's are. a little bit more I'm, used to it. But like, regardless, I think we all understand that. Like, even if you just go like a few days where you only sleep like four hours mm-hmm. a night, like there are med- there are medical studies, you're functionally like drunk. Yeah. Like, that's where your cognitive was, capacity no, is. I was actually just looking up, playing. like, on, on Healthline, like, yeah. what, what the uh, effects yeah. of sleep deprivation actually are. Yeah. And, like, everybody's playing that. Like, the part of the problem is that because everybody's lacking sleep, there's a point in this movie where people just start acting stupid because mm. they're all mm. lacking sleep. But it gets, it, it's frustrating to watch because they're doing such stupid shit. Like, you understand, but they're just making bad choices and you know why they're making them but it's yeah. still very irritating to watch at times to just watch a universe of stupid people banging into <laughs> each other there's a point there's a point towards the end of the movie where the space is military people and so like everybody has guns and not enough sleep Things go badly. Yeah, they well, were. After three or four days, you start hallucinating. Well, and also, yeah. they're very... You get trails un- when you move. Oh, and- yeah, no, they deal with that. There's, like, a lady at one point just being like, spiders are melting. Like, just... that, And she's just a background character who's just having a time. But, like, it's just... Um, also, they're very fudgy about the passage of time. There's a point where I was like, oh, a day has passed. And they're like, it's been three days. And I'm like, when? Uh, <laughs> and, it's, and especially because they made such an emphasis before about, like, how we're on a time crunch and mm-hmm. this has been accelerated and this and that and it's like it, it feels like they're being really lazy about some of like the details that would make this story work mm-hmm. <laughs> at any point do they because I assume they're trying to figure out some way to solve this from kind drugs of. or whatever Does, at any point did they just show people the movie Infinite because <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I feel like that would be right. really <laughs> good yeah I feel like that would be good Good use yeah. of everyone's time you're, you're describing this movie and I'm picturing um, like a, a really high concept like Nightmare on Elm Street film, but on a global scale. Yeah, what if Freddy Freddy, was like... Freddy's now able to reach into everybody's nightmares, so now the whole world has to stay away. and also, they never get really, really global. Like, they say it's everywhere, but also we have this, like, power outage thing, which also people get nuts about very quickly. And I'm like, Mm. we have had power outages before. Uh, Is that power outage movies? Have you ever seen Trigger Effect? No, I haven't. Elizabeth Shue, and I think it was Dermot Mulroney in that? Uh, That's right. Yeah, it was like David Kep's first like directorial debut, mm-hmm. I think. But it was like basically, what if all the power went out everywhere yeah. and never came back? And it's just about like the first few days when people start realizing just how bad it is. Well, and yeah, how and people, like... how fast people will accelerate into madness. Like how quick, how quick are we going to go full Road Warrior? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> there there is some Road Warrior shit in this movie. Oh, there's God. there's a, there's this one bit where they they bump. There's just things they see on their travels that are wild. And mm-hmm. I don't know. There was this one bit that looked like a dude made a throne out of metal that I, like or cars or something. I I don't know what it was, but it was weird. <laughs> It would take time. Yeah, again, the time thing like, is just a big time. Problem. Just practical. I'm not talking about skill. I'm just talking about just the act of welding. Yeah. A while. Well, especially if you're sleep yeah. deprived. Yeah. Yeah. How would you weld anything while I you're sleeping? I know, and they make difficulty. Big thing. I imagine. I, I honestly, I kind of was imagining more of like a hammering situation, but yeah. based on the way it looked. Mm. But, but it's just, it's just. And that's just keeping up more than like loud banging. No, God, this is so annoying. Sleep is gone. Sleep is yeah. gone. There's no sleep. Uh, um, unless you're this child, it's it's just it's it's a it's a weird messy movie. Gina Rodriguez <laughs> is doing the most though. I'm just imagining like except for this one child who's sleeping. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> Just sleeping through it. There's literally, the scene in the church towards the beginning is so wild because, like, again, they all got crazy so quickly. So this this priest who is talking to a literal human child, I can't believe just how wild he is with this kid, unmonitored, and just, just being like, I was a former drug addict, and will you sleep, and your sleep will bless us all with sleep. And it, it's just, it's like, mm. how did we get here this quickly? Bring the immortal Snuggie. Then, <laughs> just, oh, I wish. A, a, a new religion is formed around, like, really comfortable things, like yeah. the, the Church of the Down Pillow. Well, the yeah. idea is that they're Butter all going to die. the comfy chair. <laughs> The idea is that they're all going to die in a couple of days from lack of sleep, but their bodies yeah. are just going to eventually shut down, so they don't have time to form a religion. Uh, but <laughs> To die? To sleep. Oh, God, somebody <laughs> should have done that. I'm amazed oh. they didn't. Somebody should have done some Hamlet. Why would you not? God. I feel like I watched something recently with some. that quoted some Hamlet, but I don't think it, that was it. Well, they did the Nightmare on Elm Street. They quote like something else from Hamlet, like, but I have bad dreams. <laughs> no, that, the, oh, yeah, uh, that that's, I could, I could. Seal myself up in a nutshell and count myself a king of infinite space were it not that I had bad dreams. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Uh, one of Nancy's uh, dreams and yeah, uh, yeah. Elm Street. That's for so, Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, so that's the movie. It's not very good. Um, I wish good. it was better. That's a shame. Yeah, it, it sounds like somebody had a good idea, but not an idea of how to make a movie about it. <laughs> Unfortunately. All right, do you want to hear uh, me review a horror movie or Whitney review a movie about yelling and stuff? <laughs> yeah, you didn't even look up what it's I about. I didn't look did up it. <laughs> Didn't look at what holler is about at all. Yelling and stuff. Yelling okay. and stuff. I saw a movie called Holler, and Holler is not about yelling. Holler is about and stuff. <laughs> okay, Does it's anybody a... raise their voice. You know what? This movie is nothing but stuff. Um... I was half right. <laughs> yes, there's stuff in the... uh, Holler is a movie about uh, uh, economic distress. Uh, it stars a, a high school girl. She's been accepted into college, but doesn't have the money to go, and she lives in this really tiny. Uh, on the cusp of dying uh, Ohio industrial town. Uh, she is staying with a friend of her mom's while her friend is in prison recovering from drug addiction. Uh, her older brother is trying to look out for her, but he's really busy with his own, his own thing. Uh, and in order to sort of make ends meet, she's drawn into the uh, wild and hoary world of uh, scrap metal scavenging. So she is. She takes a job at a, huh. a scrap metal yard, and you know she's. Some people just sort of go around town and you know turn in aluminum cans, and they get a little money from the scrap metal yard. Sometimes they do things like raid old homes and rip the copper wiring out of the walls. Yeah. And pretty soon she's going on these nighttime raids into uh, abandoned homes to rip out copper wiring. Some of them are protected. Sometimes people shoot at them. It's. It's kind of a hellish existence, and she realizes as as uh, sort of her her time doing this goes on that a she's in essentially mortal danger. It's not a thriller though. This is just mm. somebody fearing for her life while trying to make ends meet. Right. This is this is about her struggle. This is about how how difficult it is for people in uh, an industrial town that has essentially been abandoned by the American economic system. Right, and and these. Uh, uh, atmospheres that they have to create in order to just sort of keep on moving forward ever so slightly before death. Uh, this is one of those films where um, you can tell that the filmmaker is is really, really familiar with what she's making uh, movies about. This is uh, the first uh, feature. It was written and directed by Nichole, I think it's pronounced Regal. And uh, she is able to capture a lot of period detail. So it's a, uh, or not period, um, Location, local detail. Yeah. 
it, the kind of local detail that I'm not familiar with, but I can tell that the filmmaker is. You know, the little tiny things in the background, the shapes of rooms, the way people interact. Uh, and all of the little supporting characters are given little uh, personality quirks, little turns of phrase, uh, just a, a look where you can understand where they're coming from immediately, the instant you see them. Uh, the lead actress is played by Jessica Barden. I'm not familiar with her. Um, she uh, she was in The Lobster, uh, which is a movie I really like. Um, oh, oh, who is the the, the mom's best friend? Uh, let me let me look up the actress. But she's uh, a really well known uh, character actress who has been in like uh, Becky Ann Baker is her name, and uh, she's really really terrific as somebody who's a little bit more plain spoken. Uh, she is still working in the place where uh, uh, the main character's mom used to work, and they're constantly. In, in danger of being laid off. So they live in constant fear of being laid off. And indeed, when they get laid off, it's turned into sort of a game. Somebody loses their job, and they, like, film them on their walk of shame on the way out. It's like, ah, oh, look, he just got fired. And she's the one who says, don't do that. Somebody just lost their job. This is, like, a really horrible tragedy. What you do for your job can be your livelihood. At least that's what a, a lot of the American myth has taught us. And I find it incredibly telling that there have been a huge number of films recently about what happens when that fails, because it has failed. Uh, from something like uh, this, something like Nomadland, which is about you know living in a van, even to, to a genre picture. Like, did you see that film Brightburn? Uh, oh, which the is, one about the, what if Superman was a yeah, serial killer? Yeah, yeah, it's like Superman, but like the, if the little boy was a serial killer rather I than a, a superhero. <laughs> it's, it's like, like fun, the, it's Tales from the Crypt. I know about it. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I thought the poster was creepy. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a pretty scary movie. It got a bum uh, rap I think it got too quickly forgotten. I think yeah. it's a perfectly solid, but evil a, Superman movie. But a big part of that is, you know, he, he's living on like Kent Farm, <laughs> like in Superman, but there are no animals left on the farm. Like this, these big empty locations is a big uh, motif of that movie. And uh, I'm I'm really fascinated that by this exploration that a lot of uh, recent filmmakers have been turning to to sort of show the the complete dissipation of what the American dream once was, and Holler does it really well. Yeah. Uh, you f you really feel for this main character. Her name is Ruth. Uh, and her struggles to get out. And there's a lot of talk and a lot of dialogue to the effect of what the value of an education really is. A lot of the people who live in that town say, oh, I don't need any book learning. I, I figured out my way. I'm okay now. But you, you, you're you getting shot at while you know, scraping for scrap metal. Is that what you really wanted? And this idea of I will forge my own path is seen as something really heroic when really they're being completely screwed by the system. Uh, it's a great movie. It's really, really good, and it it, awesome. it will sting, and you really, and you'll start crying a little bit because you you get into that mode of I want you to make it. She's gonna make it, right? <laughs> please, please, get out, get out. Uh, yeah, I I really, really liked Holler. Please see Holler. Awesome. It's uh, I think it's in some independent theaters, and you can also rent it uh, on online streaming services. Awesome. All right, uh, we got two more movies left. Uh, do you want to take the last one? Or do you want to take the next one? Um, well, you want to go, go next, go. or do you want to go last? Uh, I'll go last. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. Well, I will. I will move on uh, to a new film that is. Uh, uh, it's on VOD, and uh, it's in. Well, it's in theaters this week. I think it's on VOD next week. Uh, it's called Censor, and uh, it is totally up my alley. This <laughs> is like I heard the premise of this movie. I'm like, I'm seeing that, uh, and it stars. And I'm. I hope I'm gonna not birdlize her name too much. Uh, Nayam Algar. 
uh, who was recently in that Ridley Scott sci-fi series, uh, Raised, Raised by, by Wolves. Wolves. Okay. She was in Raised by Wolves. Uh, but uh, she plays a member of the British Censorship Bureau who is in charge of watching video nasties and deciding if they should be banned or edited. If you don't know what the video nasties are, video nasties are a particularly interesting chapter in British censorship where around the time home videos started becoming prolific in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, uh, they started to not just show movies like, you know, Singing in the Rain or Wizard of Oz, but we also started getting things like Cannibal Holocaust. Well, there was, uh, the rules about home video were less specific than the rules for theatrical release. Yeah. So a lot of these previously banned films were slipping into the mainstream, so they had to, Mm. the British government had to rally really quickly to come up with you know, what was what was and was not appropriate to distribute yeah. on home video. So and so a lot of particularly violent uh, movies, mostly horror movies, uh, were labeled video nasties, and they were either banned outright or they were only released with massive cuts. Uh, and if you want to see just like a really great list of fucked up horror movies, just look at the video nasties list, yeah. <laughs> and you'll see things like Anthropophagus, which features a scene of a guy who gets like cut in his stomach and his guts are falling out and he starts eating his own guts mm. like it's just really gross for no reason the, the first evil dead is on there first evil dead yeah. is on there uh, a lot of great horror movies on there bay of blood is on there house mm. by the cemetery i think a very underrated uh fulci film is on there the original the burning mm. i don't think they remade that one but the burning mm. is on that um i'm trying to think what else I, I started, night of the demon mm. uh, was on that uh driller killer I started to review um, the Flesh video for Frankenstein nasties. I, I had a gig for Nerdist once a, a long while ago, and I started to review the video nasties, and I got two in before they canceled the series. I'm oh like, no, this, this isn't. It's not us. Yeah, it's we're we're, we're Nerdist. We don't want to talk yeah. about anthropophagy. We don't want to talk you know? about extra. Um, <laughs> but uh, but in any case, so basically there was this furor basically over like, oh, not only can we see horror movies in a theater, but we can take them home and people can just watch these violent scenes over and over again and what would that do to them surely that would cause crimes and people would start killing each other and uh neam algar uh plays a woman who is every day she goes to work and they show her a video a vhs or a, or a 35 millimeter print and it's basically just like okay now that decapitation right there is that gonna make people kill everybody or is that too goofy all right, well, we'll do some cuts to it. Like, that's, we, we gotta find where the line is. And she's a very, she's got a real hard line on it. She really is very, very strict about her job. She takes it very, very seriously. She believes in censorship. And then one day, uh, she sees in a new movie called Don't Go in the Church, uh, so, one of the scenes. Which is fictional. Movie. Fictional. Yeah. It's inspired by films like Don't Go in the Woods, but fictional. Uh, she sees a scene which reminds her of a childhood trauma which involving her and her sister, and her sister has been missing since she was a little kid. And she begins to suspect that maybe the filmmaker abducted her sister and has been forcing her to act in these horrible, partly violent movies. Wow. And I'm like, that's a hell of a premise for a scary <laughs> movie, and I want to see this movie. I thought it was going to be a little pulpier than it is based on that premise, but it's actually like a more of a psychological thriller, like along the lines of the Barbarian Sound Studio, which would be a great double feature with this. Um, this is about someone who has concocted in her head a rich inner world that allows her to both confront her trauma by experiencing horrifying cinema, 
while also taking complete control over it. And as she starts digging deeper into the realm of horror movies, she starts losing her mind, or maybe she doesn't, and she's right about everything, and I don't want to ruin the ending for you. Uh, but yeah, this is I, this got sold to me as a giallo. It's not mm. that doesn't fit the the particular uh, litany, but it's definitely giallo inspired. British giallo. Yeah, well, I mean, the giallo is specifically a murder mystery where the serial killer kills very violently and operatically. That's basically it. Yeah. Um, there may be more details, but that's the gist of it. Uh, here, there, the body count isn't high enough for that. It's mostly just. Her being terrified that the video nasties that she's exploring are actually truly evil in some way. and But what you really realize is that regardless of how the horror plays out, and I think the way that the film concludes is half awesome and half, wow, if you'd really dedicated more time to it. <laughs> like if you dedicated, if you'd padded it out a little bit more instead of making it like a lean hour and a half, you'd given me like an hour and 45, you really could have explored it really well. And, like, really made this not just evocative, but actually just completely work. Um, so that's frustrating. But, uh, I forget where I was going with this. It's, it's a good movie. It's, it's, it's not about the pulp. It's not about it's the about, pulp. Yeah. It's, it's about, it's about the, the, basically the aftermath of trauma. Using the mm. horror genre, uh, as a means to both confront, but also to willfully avoid uh, dealing with personal strife. And on that level, that's really exciting because I think that's something that the horror genre can really, really do is allow us to uh, confront our anxieties in a healthy way mm-hmm. and come out the other side going like, okay, well, I'm not actually getting disemboweled. So I saw someone get disemboweled, but it's not real. And so I don't have to worry about that anymore. I think that's kind of the fantasy people have. I think it's a bit more nuanced than that. Um, but... Um, yeah, here it's someone who completely loses themselves in their anxiety and their basically lost memories. And on that level, it's really great. And I think uh, the, the the actual ending ending is, like, really terrifying to me. Mm. Uh, but, like, certain elements of the plot, it's, like, it's hard to tell if, like... It feels a little underdeveloped in the middle, I guess. But mm. ultimately, I really, really like this. I think if you are a fan of the horror genre in general, this is an interesting chapter in the history of cinematic horror which really doesn't have a lot of movies about it specifically mm-hmm. and i think this one handles it really well uh so i do recommend it i hope you check it out uh it's a pretty cool film and i don't i'm not deeply in love with it but it, does, it is definitely a recommendation excellent all right now tell tell us about a wish dragon um <laughs> Bit of a so shift. <laughs> so wish dragon is a movie um it's an animated film uh it's by Sony, it's released on Netflix. Uh, it's Sony a, just dumped everything on Netflix, didn't they? I guess they did. Yeah. I mean, everybody dumped it somewhere. HBO's got all the Warner Brothers things, I think. Yeah. Um, I guess my point is like Netflix isn't Sony though. Like HBO is Warner Brothers. That kind of <laughs> made sense, but like maybe they made a deal with them. I for guess whatever. Uh, it's delightful. This oh. movie's a delight. Um, wow. It's so so charming. Um, the plot is basically this kid. Uh, Din, he's played by, hold on, uh, Din is played by Jimmy Wong, okay. and then uh, he's got this friend, Lena, who I might butcher her name, it's uh, Natasha Liu Bordizzo. Don't know. Yeah. Uh, basically, they're childhood friends growing up in this neighborhood in, um, I think, China. I should have actually double-checked what country this movie is set in, but I'm like <laughs> 85% sure it's China. Mm. Um 
But yeah, they're yeah, it's China. Okay, cool. I just double checked. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're uh, they grew up together. They like met one day when he was being like bullied in class, and just like instantly best friends. And there's like a really great montage at the beginning of the movie of them just being best friends and being adorable together. And then uh, one day, her father moves her away, and then he like hasn't seen her since. We fast forward. He's like I don't know in his late teens, early twenties. Um, and he is hoping to see her again. She's, like, big and famous now. She's, like, a model. She's on billboards and stuff. Yeah. And he wants to, like, go to this birthday party that she's going to have to see her again because he still remembers their childhood friendship and he thinks they're going to be best friends again. And, um, one day when he's out, basically, he he basically works as a DoorDasher. Um, (laughs) he, he, one day he's out doing DoorDash and, um, this weird man gives him this green teapot and this weird man says he's a god and like here take this and he's like um i'd rather you pay me 7.95 please um and the teapot has a wish dragon in it who grants three wishes and is voiced by john cho uh the dragon's name is long hmm. and um uh, I'm, I'm tasting a lot of Disney knockoff here, but okay. Honestly, uh, it's it's in the execution. The dragon. The fun part with the dragon is that he he explains early on that like if he serves this many masters, he can like ascend to heaven uh, forever, mm. and he doesn't have to do this crap anymore. And he doesn't like it. So that's, he, a, that's a better motif than the whole I have to grant three wishes, which seems like pretty quick. Like yeah, you know, no. having having to serve a certain number of wish. Masters. masters yeah basically yeah, so sense. yeah he has it's three wishes per person but he's really like all right get him out get him out right right now right now i, I want to get done you're my last one i'm ready let's go and so he's he's kind of a jerk initially and this kid is like so like innocent and and sweet and and just like believes in everything whatever um and so it's just yeah him trying to reunite with a girl this whole thing with the dragon it's really really sweet i might be underselling it but like the animation is really uh fun it's kind of got a nice stretch to it like Mm -hmm. the character design is sweet but they're also very um very expressive Mm -hmm. in their animation and like just it i don't know the sense of humor is really weird at times in a way that i really liked there's a bit towards the end of the movie where the the teapot keeps getting passed around and so people keep asking for, like, one wish here, one wish there. Mm -hmm. And, like, this one, like, random henchman wishes for, like, all the puppies. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, like, they're in a van on a highway, and suddenly it's, like, filling with puppies. And he's, like, naming them. (laughs) It's just, like, there's there's a really, really fun sense of humor to this movie. Well, that's what you want. Like, if something were, like... Ah, oh, I can make any wish I want. Great, then, like, the wheels are off. Like, we can do anything we want in this movie. You don't want it to, like, half-ass. Yeah, no, and the, yeah. and the kid, like, very much is like, no, I, I have, like, specific things that I want, and I'm not gonna, like, just waste this. Meanwhile, Long keeps being like, what about gold? You want gold? Everybody wants gold. And he's like, no, I want friendship. And the dragon's like, oh, that's so boring and stupid. Does it, is it, can, it, can it just, like, will that into existence, or does it have to, like, do some work? Um, I mean, like, it, it is more of a wave-your-hand kind of thing, but he also yeah. sets down some ground rules about things. He's like, I can't, okay, I can't make you fall in love. I can't, I think, I, uh, I, 
I don't remember what the... Uh, but the emphasis is on can't make someone fall in love with you because he's like, I also can't make somebody friendship you. That's obviously very similar. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's like material things, mostly. Okay, get stuff. I, 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 think, yeah. I think he could probably bring people back from the dead, though. I'm not sure. Oh, that'd be convenient. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they can't fall in love with you. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> I don't... He, he said a couple of things, but the love one was a biggie, and I don't remember the other one. You're, you're describing a movie, and I'm maybe... I'm getting like Kazam flashbacks and okay, I uh, like Kazam. You're uh, good. Yeah, consider you're, yourself you're, lucky. You win. Is, is, you win at the game of life. It's, it's a genie movie with Shaquille O'Neal as the genie. I think yeah. I knew that. Yeah. yeah. And not uh, Sinbad. That's not a real movie. That Sin, never Sinbad, happened. Sinbad never played a genie. <laughs> There's, think, a, there's, this, there's, this, there's this thing that, like, apparently, like... It's a Mandela effect There's, there's this weird cultural phenomenon where a lot of people thought there was a movie that came out in the 90s where the comedian Sinbad played a genie, and that never happened. People were probably misremembering the movie Kazam. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, it's real, real... Yeah, it's super weird. You'd think Sinbad would capitalize on that, because what's he doing right now? Like, you think, well, he'd, make uh, a, you think he'd make that movie now. You get that movie made now. Uh, I'd like to see a, a movie about Sinbad playing himself, where he like is cast a spell and has to become a genie, like Sinbad the actor. I want to see like a conspiracy actor. story about how the movie was made, but everyone's memories were erased by Sinbad <laughs> as a genie. There was there was like a, a a politician in it, and they did something really yeah. shameful, like yeah. on camera, like in blow up. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. A, a mur- they caught a murder in the background of the final cut of the movie. They caught, sure. d- yeah. they caught Dick Cheney shooting a guy in the face. Wouldn't <laughs> that be funny? That? Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it, but is is it like is, is it good? Because yeah. it sounds pretty contrived. No, it's. I yeah. had such fun with this movie. Okay. I, right. okay. I like. It's just consistently really charming. I think the the two leads are really likable. I like their chemistry. I like that the girl's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like she's just kind of an oddball. Like she. As an adult, she's meant to be, like, all this poised, model, rich lady person. But, like, she still has that weird sensibility to her that you see in the sequences when they're kids. And I'm just, like, I don't know. I just, I, I had so much fun it with It sounds like movie. it's a charming film. That, yeah. we, that's all it needs to be, really. It's, uh, basically, you know, it's nice when our movies that are designed for kids and families are, like, beautiful and thoughtful and help us change the way we... But basically, all the time, most of what we're looking for is... Entertaining and inoffensive. My barometer these days, and it's a thing that, uh, it's been a problem, like, this is the reason I didn't love Moana as much as everyone else did, Mm -hmm. is, like, when the third act turn happens and it's supposed to be really serious and you're supposed to be, like, worried for their fate, I was never worried. Raya did make me worried. This movie made me worried. So dragon movies make you worried. (laughs) There has to be a dragon in there. Yeah, Uh, yeah, dragon heart made you worried. I guess dragons really do for me. But seriously, it was like the third act turn in this movie really had me for a second. I'm like, oh no. That's hard to do. Like, we're so consciously aware of, like, it's a movie. It's going to be fine. It's a kid's movie. Yeah. No one's going to be dead at the end of this. Like, it's totally fine. But, like, if they can, if a movie's good, it'll make you think to yourself, okay, how can they possibly get out of this? Yeah. And, like, when the turn happens, it's like, oh my God. And yeah, no, so that's it's good really, storytelling. Yeah. It really worked on me. And also, I really like that one henchman and his puppies. <laughs> <laughs> They're so good. Are they all the same puppy or are they different kinds of puppies? They all they all look like those little um oh I just forgot the breed of dog. Is it golden retriever. No, no, no. Yeah. It's uh there's a there's like a popular big fuzzy breed of dog. Oh chow. Yeah, a chow. That's a chow. I think, okay. I think they're chows. Okay. I think they are. Little chow puppies. <laughs> I thought they were anyway. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Chows are cute. I like Chows. Yeah, no, it's great. And he's got like a whole armful of them. He's naming them all. It's great. <laughs> so there's a, there's a little bit of joy in there. Yeah, it's, it's nice. just it's just there's a really weird sense of humor to this movie that I thought was really funny. Okay. Right. That sounds, that's a great recommendation. Well, it's time to uh, review movies on a scale. Mm. Uh, because this is critically acclaimed to review movies. On a scale of C minus to C plus. That's it. Those are your three options. C is average. Most movies are average. Some good, some bad. It's fine. Some movies are below average. They get a C minus. That's basically we just don't recommend them. Sometimes they're just they're infinite. Uh, and then uh, sometimes there's a C plus. That's above average. That's above average. That's like really good. We recommend God, it. Might even be the movies. best movie ever made. There's so many movies. There's a lot of movies, and we have a lot to review. So we're just gonna, in case. You want a refresher? You weren't entirely clear where we stood on some things. We're just going to go over the movies of the week, and we're going to go in reverse order. So, okay, Wish Dragon C plus. Yay! So good. <laughs> that sounds great. I could use it right now after like the amusement park made me sad. Uh, let's see, Censor. Uh, I'm going to give it uh, a, not an unqualified C plus because I do feel like it's kind of loses its way a bit. But I think the overall effect is excellent. And, um, oh, I, I, I'm a sucker for movies about, like, the history of horror, and I think this one handles it better than most would. So mm. I do recommend this. If you're a fan of the horror genre, please check this one out. I think you'll, you'll, be, you'll be glad you did. I'm sorry I missed it. All right. Uh, Whitney Holler. Holler, uh, C+. This is a really, really great film. You're going to be thinking about this one a lot. Awesome. Awake. Um... Like I guess a C minus. I it's it's not that bad, but it's also not very good. That's okay. <laughs> that's a, that's 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 like one of the less harsh C minuses we've ever given. Yeah, I think you're fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, uh, Infinite Whitney. Oh God, I I wish I hadn't seen this movie. Yeah, like, it, it was such a waste of my time. It, it definitely a C minus, yeah. um, and well, it, it remains to be seen whether or not this will end up on my bottom ten. It is uh, if, quite bad. If there are ten worse films than Infinite this year, yeah, this year's going to be a year. bad year. So, uh, yeah, this 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 is a very 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 not good film. Uh, it's not like painful, like in a way that like you know like well, the, I want to gouge out my eyes, but it's just. Bland and pointless it's really, and sloppy. Really, really and, stupid, bad screenplay. Yeah, like just I, nothing about it is good. It's just it's 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 cinematic chewing gum, oh. but like you've you've been chewing it for a for like a year. <laughs> so like it's not even good anymore. It remembers the life of the last gum now. you were chewing on. Yeah. It makes it made me long for Highlander five. Like it's I didn't, I'm not even understand sure there was a Highlander Five. No, oh, that was the one that was in like the Romanian forest. Yeah, it was called the Source. Yeah, the Source was better, and the Source sucks. <laughs> the Source sucks. So there we go. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, the amusement park. Uh, C plus. That yeah. this is a, a wonderful, completely chilling, really terrifying, uh, nasty little thing. Yeah, absolutely an exciting like discovery mm. and. One last reminder that George A. Romero was one of the greats. You know, he was a little hit or miss sometimes, but his hits were like mm. no other. Just a truly terrifying, creepy movie. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I want to save you for less. Uh, In the Heights, Whitney. Uh, C plus. I loved it. Awesome. I, I, it made me warm and fuzzy. 
Uh, I'm also giving it a C plus, not without reservation. I think in some respects it's a bit kind of meandery too so too much so for its own good, but overall the the joyous takeaway uh, is mm. just hard to deny. It's a really really yeah. entertaining motion picture. And then uh, little uh, Lady Night the Brave. <laughs> uh, yeah, C plus. I want to see it a couple more times just because uh, I think maybe I'll have a different experience when I can just put aside all of my little hangups about the changes, but. Yeah, it was a delight. It was beautifully staged. Everybody sang really good. They cast people who could sing. Yeah. Other no. movies should take that lesson. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be so nice. I'd love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so C+. It was great. That's awesome. So uh, that is it for Critically Acclaimed this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we want to give uh, a particular a moment uh, to Lady Knight to tell us a bit more about her YouTube channel and also where you can find her on social media because please follow this person. They're a genius. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I do a channel that's called Lady Night the Brave, where I talk about, I, I think my tagline is film theory and feelings, um, <laughs> since I tend to get really into why things make me feel stuff, and that apparently makes people cry a lot. I, uh, so I'm told. That's the gig. People forget that sometimes. Like, that's what movies are trying to do, right? <laughs> yeah, and apparently me describing things and how they make me feel makes people cry a lot. I don't know why, but this is a thing. This is part of my life now. That's that's <laughs> one of the great compliments is that you had criticism that makes you cry? Holy shit. It's, I don't think I've ever done that. It's it's very wild because it, it's like, should you say thank you? Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm not sure what the response is when someone tells you. I'm, I still don't. I'm, I'm, I'm touched. I guess I don't I, know. Like, I, I'm honored. Yes, I make it. You you cry. I. I think. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be weird if you were like weirdly like you know really proud of it. Like yes, cry for me, cry. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> reminded yeah. of uh, Mike Lee's topsy turvy. They're asking all these theater actors, "What? Uh, how do we do it? What, what is it? Uh, usual laughter, tears." curtain <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's a, a, a lot of people tell me that and close friends tell me I made my mom cry with one of my videos oh, wow. yeah the Hill House one wow I know she never was able to completely articulate why <laughs> um, um, but yeah so I, t I talk about things um, I talk about movies TV shows mostly I talked about a podcast one time actually The Adventure Zone that was my first video oh okay um but yeah, and uh, so yeah, I'm Lady Night the Brave on YouTube. Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, Bot Yulubel. That's pretty much, I mean, like you can find me on Instagram and Tumblr, but I'm not really doing anything channel related there. Yeah. On Tumblr, it's mostly videos of cats. <laughs> so it's Tumblr. <laughs> and gift yeah. sets of like, the, right now I'm obsessed with Shadow and Bone, so it's a lot of gift sets of Shadow and Bone because um, I love a twink with cheekbones. I hate that I know myself <laughs> this way, but. Man, I liked the books and they adapted it well and they cast it well and so I'm obsessed and I've been reblogging a lot of gifts. I'm just happy you're happy. Oh man, I get very excited about things. That's, <laughs> that's the whole channel is just, I'm very excited about things. But you're articulate about them and that's what makes it exciting, I think. I think For others. We I can think, pick up I, think on I verged on absurd with the Miss Fisher video where I like talked about Jack's hair a lot. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Fine. I went on. I went on a rant about Otis and Lex Luthor's college days. So I, the I've never the thing is, you know, that shit got real because his perfect, perfect hair has like a perfect curl down his forehead. It's like normally very perfectly slicked back, and there's one curl, but it's perfect. And I just like <laughs> it makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, when, when he gets cut, is there like one little tiny artfully placed 
horizontal cut on his cheek. He's never gotten cut. Oh. No. <laughs> That's that's literally about the extent of it. The, the hair, he that has one, one time. curl yeah. out of place. I think I think there was a little bit of blood right there because he got hit in the head. Uh, uh, but that was it. Nice. <laughs> well, in any case, uh, yes. we, we 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 are not at that YouTube channel, but we do have a lot of other stuff uh, you can enjoy. Uh, so yeah, we're here and um, where you heard our podcast. Uh, we're also on Twitter. You're so, you're so articulate with this part. Thank you. It's one eighteen in the morning. We're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Uh, if you like this show and you want to hear more like it, of course, there's the whole Critically Acclaimed network. We have a lot of free shows uh, right here on the network. But if you want more shows, oh, oh, have we got more shows, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have more shows, including shows about Batman, mm-hmm. the Oscars, Star Trek... Commentary tracks, mm. Disney, and more. You can vote for future episodes and of shows. More. There's a lot of stuff. I think Our you pun. guys might spend your time glued to this microphone. We we would if we could. Unfortunately, Whitney uh, has to go sometimes. I, I I do have a like job just, and child. I'm just here in like do. a state of like being and not being, like a Schrodinger's podcast when Whitney is here. <laughs> I'm just like I'm just waiting here. I already watched Batman. I'm waiting for Whitney to talk about. It. <laughs> Um, but, uh, in, in any case, it's been rough with the pandemic and, uh, scheduling and everything, but we're doing our best and thank everybody who supports the show without your support, uh, especially on Patreon, we wouldn't be here. So we're incredibly grateful and to all of you. And if you can't afford to support us on Patreon, cool. And we spe- totally guess that. Special thanks to Lady Nick yeah. Brown. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very we're much. Hauling all the way out here this, this, and l- listening to us ramble. It feels like poetry. You've been with us for so long. Like, you've been, like, seriously, like, since we, once we started, like, doing letters, like, Lady Knight appeared. Yeah. <laughs> like, and uh, it's just been, it's what, just been Didn't you say with B. Peterson it was, like, the critically acclaimed next generation or something? Yeah, kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. So, like, I guess, I, I was joking. So if I did it twice, it feels like I'd be mm-hmm. doing it for real. But, like, seriously, like, you, we, you, you, you were in our letters column and now, like, you've completely surpassed us. And that's really <laughs> exciting. So we're just yeah, we're, we're incredibly honored. We're leaching yeah. off of your numbers now. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I will tweet it on Twitter. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> Greatly appreciate it. Um, but seriously, seriously, please, please follow Lady Knight's channel and uh, we'll have a link up on social media and. Uh, the the page for the podcast and all that stuff. I'm very tired. No. Uh, and don't forget soap. We have a soap store, Etsy.com. If you look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. Father's Day is coming up, and we sell some Father's Day <laughs> gift sets, and they are nice. So uh, please check that out. Please. That's great. Um, anyway, we got to go. So uh, once again, uh, Lady Night the Brave, thank you so much. Would, would you like to take us out on our, on our uh, take us out of here? Okay. All uh, right. All right, well, everybody's a critic. It's true. Yay. <laughs>